Okay, on three, we'll do five. Okay. If you choose to become inactive or to leave the restored Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, where will you go? What will you do? The decision to walk no more with the Church members and the Lord's chosen leaders will have a long-term impact that can't always be seen right now. This is Infants on Thrones, Baby Steps, The Philosophies of Men, I like magical toys, mingled with humor, I don't believe in them, there will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor, we are evolving, Baby Steps, you can buy anything this world of money. the good in everything look for the people who will set your soul free it always seems impossible until it's done look for the good in everyone all right welcome back to infants on thrones i'm glenn ostland and this is episode 783 reflections 50 ways to leave the church and this is a really fun conversation that happened six and a half years ago and we published it back in june 2015 and if you listen all the way to the end you'll get to hear an adorably tipsy john hamer doing his best paul simon impersonation so kiss a boy roy drink some tequila she i, I don't even there's no tune john hamer says no I really enjoyed listening back to this episode where John and Randy and Jake and Tom and myself talked about our top three reasons for leaving the Mormon church. You know, and the only thing that I think that I would add today that I didn't discuss back then is the idea of worthiness, or more specifically, the idea of a lack of worthiness, aka worthlessness. You know, this idea that the worth of a soul, while, yeah, okay, supposedly great, is also quite conditional. That if you don't do X, Y, or Z, then you're not really worth saving in the grand scheme of things, you know, or or whatever variation of that. It's just such an unfortunately false way of viewing myself or other people. And now, no, I don't want to do that anymore. And that was one of the main reasons that I got away from the Mormon church. And it really ties in with one of the main thoughts that I had as I listened back to this. Now, aside from the fondness that I feel for each of these guys and the way that we talked things out with each other and shared those conversations with listeners, the main thought that I had was that once I identify things that are repulsive to me, like this worthiness thing or the harm caused by sexism or the things that we can't stand about Brigham Young or any of the many other things that we talk about in this episode, once I recognize that those things are toxic and that the world needs less of this toxicity, and that I need to put some distance and some healthy boundaries between myself and the external organization that institutionalizes much of this toxic behavior. Well, once I recognize that, I really need to do an inner evaluation and kind of like an inner 
cleanse of my own psyche, a cleanse of any of these toxic attitudes that I might have picked up along the way. It's that whole removing the beam from my own eye thing, right? And it's a lifelong journey. For example, if I recognize that ethnocentrism is a disgusting thing to me, as you'll hear me talk about later in this episode, then I also better recognize my own egocentrism. And I better work on being more open, more curious, more accepting, less judgmental, less rigid, less dogmatic. You know, the kinds of things that I talked about in the recent One True Truth minisode. And in case any of you are wondering how Jake, John, Randy, and Tom are doing these days, well, you can go check out episode 697, The Triumphant Return of Brother Jake, where he talks about his recovery from suffering cardiac arrest, which happened a few years after we recorded this episode. Or you could listen to episode 748, John's God, Randy's God, and Optimistic Nihilism to find out how John, the brilliant community of Christ pastor, and Randy, the not nearly as angry and atheist as he likes to make people not think that he is orthodontist slash tooth chiropractor are doing these days. And if you're curious about Tom, well, just listen to this. Yeah, and thanks for the kind words, man. I don't know, man, like, I I feel way more grounded, way more healthy now than I've been. Um, I, I... I haven't gone back and listened to any of that stuff when you were referencing the um, unanswered prayers thing or whatever. I, I, I'm, I feel like such a different person now. I, I actually look back at who I was, especially in those early you know, uh, Mormon crisis days with a lot of fondness and love of who I was and what I was going through. And I'm just so glad and so insanely grateful of all the conversations and podcasts that we did Um, because I think that it really shaped and formed me in a way that was extremely beneficial um, to who I was then and not really saying like I'm better now, but just I have a lot of fondness thinking about all that and I think it was really really helpful in in getting me into a healthy spot I think yeah yeah that's it so once upon a time a listener of infants on thrones wrote to us the following email Dear infants, I'm sitting in the church foyer right now, dodging the combined third hour, and was thinking about a topic I'd like to hear about. Everyone has their own topics that they feel passionate about. Gay rights, polygamy, mountain meadows, massacre, etc. I don't have one. They all bother me. But I thought it'd be interesting if each infant came up with their top three or five, if time allows, rank them according to shock factor or doubt indictment and the number one being the back-breaking straw for them deciding to leave. Thanks, Rob. Well, Rob, we listened, and here's what we came up with. All right, guys. Uh, Five times three, 15 reasons why we left the church. Well, technically, it's a shitload more, but those are just the ones that we highlighted tonight. Yeah. 
Can the intro music be uh, like 50 ways to leave your lover or whatever? Ooh, right. right. Let's get good. on the train, you know, train, change, whatever. The problem is all inside your head, it seems to me. The answer is easy if you take it logically. We'd like to help you with your struggle to be free. There, there must be 50 ways to leave the church. church. You know, it's really not our habit to intrude. Furthermore, we hope our meaning won't get lost or obfuscued. So I'll repeat myself. At the risk of being crude, there must be 50 ways to leave the church. 50 fucking ways to leave the church. You just open your quad, Todd. Turn on your brain, Jane. Just open your eyes, guys. And, and listen, listen to me. Don't get so annoyed, boy. Lost tribes on an asteroid. Lock your way to the bank, Hank. And make yourself frank. Go kiss the boy, Roy. Drink some tequila, Sheila. Or Dana Galsal. And listen to me. me. Learn a new dance, dance. Get some new underpants, So once I show off your knees, Steve, and, and get, get yourself free. free. You know, it grieves us all to see you in such pain. We wish there was something we could do to make you smile again, so we make podcasts. podcasts. And shove the shit inside your brain about the 50 ways. The 50 ways. So put your earbuds in and listen again tonight. And we believe that in no time you'll begin to see the light. Because we're, we're just, just infants. But you know, we're, we're probably right. There must be 50 ways to leave the church. 50 fucking ways to leave the church. Take the red pill, Jill. Drink beer on the lawn, John. Light up some weed, Reed. Do the fun deed. Hold tight to your rod, rod. Forget about cola. The world needs more drones, Jones. And more infants on drones. Step out of the circle, Urkel. Take off the hat, Matt. Lose those sleeves, Eve. Just listen to me. Scissor your gal, Val. Yourself, self, and, and set, set yourself free. Read the scriptures again, Glenn. Admit you made a mistake, Jake. See that feature? Name Hammer, because this is a no-brainer. Oh, fucking guzzle brandy like candy, Randy. You don't gotta go so much. See that Brigham was wrong, Tom. And sing this nerdy uh, psalm. Oh my God, this is so hard. I'm sorry that I'm not better at this. Infants on Thrones, the philosophies of men mingled with humans. We are the core. The core. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and like you heard in that song just a second ago, today you're going to be hearing from me and Jake, John, Randy, and Tom. Although it took Tom a little while to join us. And today we're responding to Rob's email and talking about the top three straws that broke our camel's backs. 
sort of. Now, we initially thought that we'd go into this conversation and talk about these three things, get them out of the way, and then explore the idea of respect that was raised at the end of our recent gay bigotry smackdown episode. We even pulled a clip from Patton Oswalt about respecting beliefs. Want to hear it? Nobody would go, hey, we have to respect his beliefs. You know, you gotta, you've got to respect everybody's beliefs. No, you don't. That's what gets us in trouble. You have to, look, you have to acknowledge everyone's beliefs. And then you have to reserve the right to go, that is fucking stupid. Are you kidding me? I acknowledge you believe that. That's great. But I'm not going to respect it. I have an uncle who believes he saw Sasquatch. We do not believe him, nor do we respect him. <laughs> what if I, what if I 1,000% believed, and I believe this 1,000%, what if I believed that there was a giant invisible anus hovering over me, and if I wasn't nice and helpful and courteous and charitable to everyone I met, the anus would appear, suck me up into it, and I would be devoured by shit piranhas. And I mean, and I believe this a thousand percent. I would be the nicest guy you ever met. You'd be like, Patton, you're so helpful and charitable and, and courteous to people. Why is that? And I'd go, it's funny you should ask me that. <laughs> you can't see it, but there's an invisible anus hovering over me. And if I'm not nice to everybody, it will appear and suck me up and I'll be eating. Well, I don't need to tell you about the shit piranhas. We all know about those, right? <laughs> Your correct response would be, I acknowledge you believe that. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Please do not stop believing in the dumbest thing I've ever heard because you're actually helping people out with your craziness. Don't stop believing in that stuff, please. I beg you. Yeah, pretty funny, huh? But, uh, well, here's the thing. We never quite got to that respect part of our discussion, although it does come up once or twice. Maybe if we'd had the threat of shit piranhas hanging over our heads. Hmm. Anyway, here you go. Waiting for Tom to join us. Enjoy. We we could just start because up to like the beginning, we're just gonna kind of do our you know top three, boom 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 boom, right? I mean, it seems like it would be pretty pretty seamless to integrate him in during you, the first like fifteen minutes. Do you want to do um, like where we all do our third and then? We go around, and then we all do our second, and then we all do our first. Or do you want to just do Jake's section, John's section, Randy's section? Okay, Ooh, number three, insane. the third for everybody. Yeah, right, the third <laughs> right, for right up to the up to the top. <clears throat> yeah, we get to get the top reason. Yep. Yeah, uh, did you start with <clears> – okay, so – But then we need Tom. Did you, how yeah. did you prioritize it with one, two, three? Did you put one is the most important or three is the most important? One is the most one important. One is the most important. When we say most important, is the loneliest number, number that you ever met. <laughs> yeah. doesn't work. Yeah. Is the most important number. Okay, so three. Mine won't make sense because mine's chronological, so I'd be going backwards <laughs> in time. But no, it's importance is what we're doing, not chronology. Well, they're important because of the chronology. Well, then start with the oldest one, or the, and then build on it with number two, and then yeah, because number, the, the number one is the is the camel's back one. So there you go. Okay. So these aren't necessarily in descending order of importance, but I mean they can you know for, it's, for, uh, at at the time that we wrote the list, 
Right. <laughs> these, were the, these were the ones that we considered the top three. And we reserve the right to change our mind at any time because how do you really do this? You know, and, and like with, with mine, it's tricky because there's like multiple things in my number three. It's not like one single yeah, thing, you know. It's like, like a big tie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, it's more thematic. but mm-hmm. okay. And it's totally, totally arbitrary. And depending on how you feel that day. Right. Right. <laughs> And what's happened to you most recently? It's also hard to think of it out of order because we got to do it backwards here now. Well, right, right. Yeah. Write it down. Okay. And then use it as a look at it. <laughs> okay. Glenn, start. Three. Oh, well, for, for, for me, it was, I wrote down the scriptures. And uh, <laughs> so there's like a lot of things that go the in there. Like, scriptures. Yeah. Like, like, um, you know, the Tower of Babel story, because, you know, with the Old Testament, I was able to go, oh, well, that's just folk tales. That doesn't have to be literal. We can take, you know, metaphoric interpretation of Noah's Ark or Tower of Babel. You know, like I can understand that from an anthropologic position that these are ideological legends or myths or something like that. And they didn't necessarily have to happen. It's just these are the origin stories that this culture and group of people have. But when the Tower of Babel pops up in the Book of Mormon and the Jared story, the Jaredite story, it's real. You know, like you can't right. you can't sweep it under the rug like you can with the Old Testament because then you, you got to throw out the Book of Mormon. So there were there were little things in the scriptures like that. Um, well, you don't have to throw out the Book of Mormon, but you have to throw out the notion that it's historical. Oh, right. Which is basically throwing out the Book of Mormon. I mean, so for, for me. So your number three is really Book of Mormon historicity kind of thing. Big, but yeah, that's a good way to put it. And and so, like, the, I've toyed with the idea of doing a minisode about this. I think I've mentioned it a couple of times, but I never explain it very well. When, you know, there's a, there's a story in the Old Testament when the Moses's people, he's leading them through the wilderness and they're complaining about stuff. And so God gets pissed and sends the fiery serpents that bite them. Right. Yeah. And so yes. Moses puts this God serpent. Is so cool. Yeah. He's like, he, he builds this brazen serpent on a pole and he holds it up the and Nehustan. says, Stan. Yeah. The Nehustan. And anybody who looks at it and exercises their faith will be healed. And the ones that are stubborn won't. Right. And when I was in seminary and I was taught that story, the seminary teacher told us that that Nehustan, that image of a of, of a single serpent on a on a post, is the is used for the medical field today because it's tied back to Moses, right? Uh-huh. And so I was sitting in sacrament meeting in Japan. I was preparing a lesson for the primary kids. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to tell them this story and everything. <laughs> and then I start looking into it. And I go, well, wait a second. But the, the medical symbol is two serpents around. It's not right. one serpent with around. With wings, too. Well, but, the, but yeah, with wings. <laughs> okay? really? yeah. Right. And this is when I started going, wait a minute. And I looked in the, the, mos- the, the, the biblical you- version of the story, and there's no serpents with wings. But in the Book of Mormon version, it's serpent with wings. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and so there's this difference there. And I, I started looking at it, and what happened was when, like in the early 1800s, when the Medical Association got this image, they put the wrong serpent with wings traditional image. Like the one that they actually used, do you know what it's called? It's not the Nehustan. The, it's the Caduceus. The Caduceus, which and is, it's is the symbol of Asclepius. Hermes. 
of Hermes. Okay. Right? And and it's well, it's used Asclepius. You're probably more correct than I am. <laughs> but it but it but wasn't anyway, was Asclepius. We believe in yeah. Glenn as far as Greek, he is informed correctly. The right. Greek god the Greek god <laughs> of healing. Correctly. Yeah. The Greek god of healing. Yeah. But it's not healing, it's merchants and thieves. Oh. And and you know so it's a oh, complete. So oh, the, wing, the wing one you're saying is the Mer- is Hermes as opposed to the right. Asclepius, which is just the snake. I, yeah. I got it. Yeah. So so anyways, I, I I like put this together in my head that the reason that the Book of Mormon version of the story has serpent with wings is because Joseph Smith, who wrote the Book of Mormon, was familiar with this image of certain <laughs> with wings being associated with the medical profession because they had mistakenly adopted this Greek image instead of the Jewish image that the Bible talks about. And so so like it's things like that 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 I recognized and went Wait a minute. There, there, there's indications that this Wait, Book of you Mormon. You did all this on your mission? No, 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 no. I was, I was. Uh, I, I, Gospel doctor. Yeah, teacher. because I said I was in oh. Japan. No, it, it was. Wait, you're in Japan. Yeah, it was like like oh, seven years ago okay. when I was living in, oh, okay. in Japan, and I was going to teach my daughter's primary uh, class. Yeah. And well, you, you know, you know what I teach. You know what I teach my sons. Uh, when they complain too much and start bitching and moaning too much, I go to the pet store and I grab a couple of rattlesnakes. And I, kill and, I th- and I throw that at them just, just to teach <laughs> right. them a lesson. That's the kind of father I am. All right. Yeah. yeah you, and then and then you, you hold up the antidote and you right. say, "Look at me. You look, look at me. Yeah. Look at right. me. Ask for the antidote. Yeah. <laughs> but get on your knees. Okay. I'm get on add, your goddamn knees. <laughs> I'm adding Tom Perry. <laughs> Uh, and, and then, then the the other one that fits into that same category I've talked about before with with Corinthians and uh, you know th- th- this was another gospel doctrine lesson I was trying to prepare for and look at the origin of telestial and try to figure out how it fits and I I saw that the way that Paul wrote Corinthians is this binary structure where you've got heavenly things on one side and earthly things you know corruptible and incorruptible and there's no room for a third made-up category, even though the JST superimposes on it. And that, that was like this moment, hey, we've got Tom video. Hey, we've got Tom on Rock video. On. Look at that. Look at that chrome dome. Yeah. Yeah. like it. And, uh, you know, so it, it, that's my third. Yeah. It was uh, those kinds of experiences, reading the scriptures and, like, going, maybe I am smarter than Joseph Smith. And that opened up a lot of... Oh, that's some loud breathing. Yeah, John. Some loud nose that's breathing. That's John. He just sprinted around. <laughs> He's really, really mad about this scripture thing. Yeah. He's yeah. Did, Glenn, did, uh, did you ever teach DNC as gospel doctrine teacher? Yeah, I'm sure I did. Though did this, th- this was a DNC course, and so I was going outside of the DNC to get the. The, the references from the original source in Corinthians, you know. Mm-hmm. So but did was, you yeah. did you did you read the entire section of one thirty two and did that bother you or was that no. not part of it? That wasn't no. part of it. I, I didn't read the entire one thirty two until we did it for Mormon Expression. And, and then that, you're and that, like, oh my god! Like, <laughs> as we're do as we're recording the podcast, I'm reading these things for the first time and going, holy shit! Really, it says that? That is crazy! Like I did some research ahead of time and I saw uh, some, some things, but it was it was that process. So it wasn't no that that wasn't the gospel doctrine scripture thing. All right, who's who's up next? Number three. Your third reason. Let's go with the youngest. Uh, uh, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. So, 
Uh, I think my third, I, I'm actually just picking it. I mean, this one was very important. It, it was kind of the instigating issue, at least, uh, yeah, for me. But I don't know. I, I, I'm putting it third. Whatever. Screw you. I'm doing <laughs> what I want. Um, you go. Uh, it, yeah, so it's, it was Prop 8 for me. And it wasn't even something that I went through in real time. It was, I was actually on my mission. I didn't uh, when it all kind of went through. And I got, I came back from a mission early 2009. I'm sorry every time I say that, Randy's like, you're so young. But it's the <laughs> truth. Um, but anyway, it was uh, – yeah, that just the wake of that was, was really impactful to me. It was just – and I don't really have as – it's uh, – it, you know, I, I think we all kind of know why this type of thing would be irksome. It is rather irksome. You know? So – I don't know. I think it's like pretty self-evident. I mean, maybe it's not, but it was for me. Is this top three thing going to go on too long? I don't know. It could be the whole podcast. It, it, yeah. it depends on if they're all as long as mine or if they're as short as yours. You'll see. Right. Exactly. All right. So I'm done. Who's, who else? <laughs> Prop eight. Irksome. Enough said. Prop eight. Boom. Irksome. It's gross. I mean, the, that, you know, the way that they were t- treating gay people and it was weird that they were getting involved in a... Having people go out and proselyte, like... Exactly. Like, That's, hit up their ugh. neighbors and... Yeah. It was that. It was that kind of activism. Like for some reason, and that and that's kind of messed up. I feel like that's. I almost feel a little bit bad about that because it wasn't until they were like, "Oh, they're bothering people. Like they're bothering other people to come to this thing." Like it's fine if you have those hateful thoughts or you know opinions on your own, but when you try to make them into law, then that you just well, cross. There, the there line. were a lot of things but, around. Like I was, I, again, I was living in Japan when this happened, so I didn't have the direct experience with it. But when I heard that that they were coming over the pulpit and sacrament meeting and saying, if you've saved up money for a family vacation this year, why don't oh you put that God. towards the Prop 8 fund, you know, like fund our bigotry <laughs> instead of taking Yay! a family vacation because family's first. You know, it's just, it, 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 was, it, it was irksome. I don't think there's a better word. All right. yeah, and, and people would be like, on, um, they would stand out on a street corner during that time and hold up a bunch of signs and uh asking for people to honk and support and when they i'm sure every time that they got like the bird yeah from someone they just felt so righteous in their persecution in their yeah. blue shirts in their blue, sh- <laughs> in their blue right. shirts <laughs> all right all right <laughs> randy you're up okay so this is in reverse chronological order this was the this was the clincher um, and a source of a lot of my anger. Um, and so number three is Brigham Young in all caps. He is such, was such an asshole. Um, when, when you, when you read, but how, books, but how did you go from thinking that he was God's prophet to an asshole? Yeah. Yeah. How, uh, because the emotional tie had broke. Cause I remember this is number three. So I don't know what that means. I, I said, <laughs> Minor in chronological order, so I'm going in reverse chronological order. So with one and two, the kind of the emotional tie was already broken, and then Brigham Young took me home. So then I, I would say that Brigham Young's your number one, and that you would should start with the other, like reverse your reverse. You don't order. get to tell me. What, I, what, I just don't, don't, I just don't understand. <laughs> who the fuck do you think you are? I, I'm just somebody who wants to understand what you're saying, Randy. That's look. All. This isn't a Tarantino movie. This is yeah. a podcast. Right. Just Jesus, yeah. you should have a right. linear, like, like kind of forward <laughs> momentum. <laughs> no, like uh, Brigham Young, like one and two. 
took me into like a uncomfortable faith crisis. Number three, Brigham Young uh, put me right into the anger phase. And I know some people think I'm still in my anger phase, but I'm not. Prove um, it. <laughs> prove it. <laughs> the evidence says contrary, dude. Hey, could you get your fucking head in the middle of the screen? <laughs> I just moved this thing. What the hell else can I get for you? Uh, look, <laughs> just look Is on your computer yeah. screen. <laughs> there you go. Good Tom boy. would be a Tom would be a killer <laughs> wedding photographer. <laughs> yeah. Just get on with your list and quit worrying about me. Yeah. So when I when I read quotes from Brigham Young, where you know he's he's saying if 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 a black if a white person mixes their seed with a black person, the the only way to atone is death. This will always be so. Black people will never get the priesthood until every last white soul gets the priesthood first. Um, the um, you know. The javelin in the heart quote. Um, that, but that was about uh, 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 adultery. Yeah, well, I, but he was promoting, <laughs> you know, murder in that in that scenario. If your wife cheats on you, oh yeah. Well, you and Mike Tannehill are in the same boat. Exactly. You got to spike it with all of Noah's animals. <laughs> um, you know, and then finding out that he supported slavery and it was like actually legalized it. I like watching the Tom size now. Those are fun. I know. They're good. Um, <laughs> and Tom, this one's for you. Tom, this one's for you. Um, when the, uh, the U.S. Army came and found all the bones for Mountain Meadows, yeah. um, they're the ones that buried them. And then they put up a little makeshift monument that said uh, something like, um, you know, justice will be served, and then vengeance, Brig- is, Brigham, mine. vengeance is mine. Vengeance yeah. is mine. The and, the Lord. Yeah, and then Brigham came with his entourage, and he just you know came upon that monument that the army had uh, put up, and he kind of snickered and had them change it to justice or vengeance has been served or something like that. Yeah, and they tore it down or whatever. And the, yeah, and and he just was such. He was such a repulsive person. And then, and then the Thomas Marsh, you know, Thomas Marsh comes back, a poor old man, hat in hand, and Brigham stands him up in general conference and publicly taunts him and then says, I can have any woman I want. Look at him. He's only a year and a half older than me, and I can have any woman I want. He is an old man. Uh, he, just the arrogance. I mean, I, I honestly think he was a mega, megalomaniacal sociopath that's that's what eventually the conclusion i came to by coming you know reading all these quotes so brigham i mean i just wanted i was i didn't even like having a degree from brigham young university yeah right so that was my number three i'm done your hate your hatred runs deep dude right with brigham i actually kind of like joseph (laughs) still or then no like even now i find him uh, peculiar, peculiar, and interesting, and and you know, I, I think I, I think I'd enjoy hanging out with Joseph, even if I thought he was a total idiot. I bet you wouldn't. Well, who knows? Yeah. Why would you say that, Glenn? Why? You know Randy so well; he doesn't. He doesn't know who he'd like to hang out with. Oh no, he knows Joseph Smith better. I don't know. I, I it, it's just reflecting like how my own uh, attitude towards Joseph Smith has shifted. Where I used to really like him, and the more I've thought about what he was actually like, he probably 
I don't know. He, he, he probably was just a real pompous jerk, and I wouldn't enjoy hanging out with him. Because he, because he, because he would Kinda expect like me to, right? Yeah. <laughs> Too many similarities. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 He'd never pay for pizza. He would never pay for pizza. Yeah. Uh, he'd, he'd always, always have the excuse they forgot his wallet. Or Whoa, oh, oh, shit! Oh, I'll get the next dude. one next yeah. time, dude. Next time. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 like if you're if you're trying to decide what toppings to have on the pizza, he's always going to play the "Thus saith the Lord" Trump card. We've got to right, have. Exactly. We've well, not only that, he's going to be checking out your wife the whole time. Yeah. He'll while I go out to get the pizza, <laughs> he'll be hitting on her. Yeah. That's his MO. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, John, your number three. Uh, my number three one is the racism. So oh, that, that's a good that was one. still a uh, active thing when I was a kid. You know where where um, the church had its all of its racist policies were um, still in place, and then you know like in childhood that that reversed through a declaration but they were saying that the past leaders had been wrong there were no apologies there was no change of the theological justification myths the stories you know the so even eight eight years ten years later or whatever in seminary i was still being taught the racist idea that black people were you know the the unvaliant people in the pre-existence so the fence sitters yeah. So yeah. anyway, so just, the just racism was to, just go ahead. Just, just I was saying, so, so it was just it, that was just horribly offensive, and and we didn't learn anything from it. And by not by by just stopping the policy, but not admitting error and not repenting, um, the church immediately f- did the same thing. You know, with every other kind of bigotry that it wanted to go after next. So they gave up on that one at least in terms of uh, national politics and immediately squashed the ERA. And then obviously as soon as, as soon as that had happened, they started going after gay people. Well, so the bigotry is still there and, and, and that's just the MO and nobody ever learned anything from giving up the racism, at least in terms of the policy, but not in terms of any, any, um, not 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 in terms of admitting error. So. It, it's it's very ironic that it's that classical letter of the law, but not spirit of the law dilemma. That they they never mind. Well, well the one so, thing that's <laughs> the, the one thing that's consistent is that um, Mormons like bristled if you called them racist in the eighties and nineties, um, but they were their their policy was. And now, you know, history is just kind of rinsing and repeating. Um, they hate being called bigots when it comes to homosexuality. You know, they just want to euphemize it by saying, uh, you know, we're for the family. We're pro-family. We're not anti-gay. And uh, it's just funny to, to, to have that struggle in my youth of being embarrassed by the, you know, the policy that, that was... Yeah you know didn't didn't change until i was four years old i mean i was i was alive for four yeah. years when that policy was still in place hey, well, so john let me ask you this if you because I, I like this idea of like learning from it you know learning from the experience with the with the the priesthood ban and how you see the treatment of the era and homosexuals as an extension of the same kind of disease that gave rise to this to the priesthood ban in the first place i mean what would you say 
how what would change within Mormonism if they if they were to learn from that from the priesthood ban and from being from a, that racist doctrine and then disavowing it? So, if they, if there had been any learning from it, if they had said, "Whoa, we really were racist. We were we were denying it the whole time, but we had a racist policy. We were racist. We were wrong. We are so sorry. We apologize up and down. And mm-hmm. most specifically, our leaders were wrong." Then, mm-hmm. if we were to have the leaders, um, if the leaders were to admit error, then that would that would correct what's going to be my number two issue. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Yeah. And, and I, right. I want I want to address that question though, Jake, because yeah. we're 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 preparing a, a minisode on this Lowry Nelson series of letters and the the really long three page letter that he wrote to the first presidency in nineteen forty seven he addresses yeah. that issue and he's he says mm-hmm. he, he's he's talking not just about racism but about ethnocentricity ethnocentricity yeah and that that if you're able to recognize the ethnocentricity behind the racist policy mm-hmm. then you wouldn't go and turn it around to the squash the ERA or to to, to right. fight against gay because you would get out of that ethnocentric viewpoint that that Mormonism is so still completely ensconced in but that that was what Lowry Nelson was suggesting he was saying I hope that we as an institution as a church aren't so conservative that we can't change and address these needs that we're seeing in humanity and mankind and that we can eschew this ethnocentrism that's creeping into our church 1947 right. my hero loved that but I, I think that yeah, that's yeah. that's what it would be for the church to recognize it and repent of it Right, so it would be. I mean, beyond you know, admitting and doing this kind of external, well, this very explicit, you know, penitence of apologizing for it. Beyond that, would be kind of this cultural shift of recognizing ethnocentricity of or centrism of the way of their worldview and kind of approaching that with some humility going forward. Yeah, is that not, what you're saying? Not just humility as a as lip service and as a speech act, but like real. Actual right, humility. actual humility. Yeah. Right, right, right. Okay, interesting, interesting. Which I think is mine. One of mine number numbers here. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. So Tom, number three. Is it my turn already? Uh, already? Yeah, you're number five, man. I'm gonna go with um, prayers not being answered. Be my number three. I know it's not necessarily Mormonism centric, but that's going to be a big one for me. I used to find ways to justify, you know, the kind of the Mormon spin to how they're answered. You know, like oh, there must be a meaning to him not being not answering it the way you want it to be answered, right. or answering it through other people, or whatever horse shit is you know the flavor <laughs> of the day. And I just, I just. I don't know. I just it always bothered me because there were certain prayers that I felt like that were answered, but left confusing answers. And well, what you, you really t- uh, told a heartfelt, emotional story about your child whose umbilical cord was wrapped around its neck. I can't remember if it was a he or she. Yeah, he he wrapped around his neck, um, and then the the obstetrician wasted valuable time having a little prayer before he went in and pulled the umbilical cord out from around your son's neck 
And that was something that was really hard for you to let go because mm-hmm. you thought that was really a strong answer to a prayer. Yeah, I thought it was a, a miraculous intervention by God through this, you know, worthy priesthood holder, which happened to be my doctor at the time. When you say, when <laughs> who you also say, happened to have you know years and years and years of medical training, but yeah, yes. yeah side <laughs> note, yeah. But that you, you eventually got over that because of all the other stuff that wasn't getting. I answered? don't know that. I'm, I can't. I can't for sure say that I've even shaken that off because I still have like an extremely vivid recollection of that night. Because um, I actually remember after all that was happening, and I found an empty hospital room, and I locked the door, and I just fell to my knees, and I was just sobbing. And I remember just saying, "Whatever it takes. It, if you need to take me instead, go right ahead. But please just." please just let my, my son pull through this. And my wife is obviously struggling too. And I just remember thinking, you're going to take my entire family from me. Just take me instead. And if, and if you let my son survive and let my wife survive, I devote my life to you. I still remember saying those things. And so, I mean, I even get that twinge of guilt right now thinking (laughs) that I, that I made that promise and that commitment. So, I don't know. Remember, remember your promise, Jamie. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. twist the knife there, asshole. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Sorry. Was I the only one thinking that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I no, really, I, I really I, am an asshole. I, I, was, I was thinking about respect, you know. I mean, if we get to it, we're going to talk about respect later, but because... <laughs> Because Tom has this this gratitude for what happened. I mean, this was a huge case in his life. To even question it or doubt it seems disrespectful. I'm, I'm guessing that's how I would feel in that situation. Yeah, that it would I, be I like, guess, to, I like I I watched or I held my two year old in my arms for about ten seconds. I was looking at his face and he wasn't breathing. So I feel like I understand that 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 terror that Tom went through. So I, I felt like putting a little levity in there. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> pissing all great. over my experience. Was, yeah, I wasn't pissing. Yeah. I was just trying to make it. Ju- just trying to, you know, be funny. <laughs> no, it was funny. I mean, it it was funny. But Tom, that that's so. I guess I'm I'm still having trouble why well, like well, understanding well, when you say that, that that you have trouble with her or you know, that's one of your issues. But you just told a story that that was kind of the opposite of that. No, right? but that was that was because well, Randy suggested like Tom was talking about prayers not being answered yeah. and Randy went back to say well, remember this one so time you was. talked about a, one that was yeah oh, so. okay so, got it sorry, sorry. so just in in context of the prayer thing <clears throat> when I even when I turned 14 I actually did the whole recreation of the Joseph Smith in the sacred woods yeah I didn't go to New York or any of that stuff but that was your problem that was my problem that's what the geographical area yeah. kick. Um, <laughs> but I but I rode my bike all by myself and I spent I don't know probably four or five hours up in the woods all by myself in complete solitude and just praying nonstop. And <laughs> what's funny is I remember like shading that memory at the time thinking, Oh, God was listening. He was paying attention. I just wasn't worthy or I just wasn't paying close enough attention or my thoughts were telling me something that I just wasn't listening to or whatever it was. Yeah. But now, in hindsight, now I'm looking at it, I'm like, I just wasn't getting anything at all. And I was trying to fill in the gaps of not getting anything with, you know, with the Mormon shading into the 
into the gaps and it i don't know yeah. i i actually prayed a lot a lot and you know like the whole enos thing where he was, yeah that's what oh i was my thinking God, yes, i wanted I to this. do <laughs> yeah so i <laughs> and i still and i still pray in fact yeah so it's whether it's just a kind of a method out of habit or if it just brings me peace and comfort or whatever and I still pray with my family. See, um, this is why the 80-year-old listener wanted the gay guy and the one who still prays. I, I pray as well, too, but I just don't, <laughs> I don't have the same, you know, I don't have the same conception of it in terms of this very literal, fleshy God guy who's going to talk back or whatever to you in this kind of, like, he, like he's a human being and we're a human being, we're going to hear this kind of conversation. And so is it, more like, it, is it more like meditation than prayer then, John? Yeah, so I would say so. So, what essentially you're that there are there are two different things for that that like I say, there's two different kinds of prayer. The one is public prayer, where you are are um, it's not a ramiumpton prayer where you are trying to show your your glory to the other people, but rather what you are doing is you are trying to get the feel of all the people around, and you're trying to encapsulate the feeling. And the spirit of what they're all feeling, in or in, ter- in terms of bringing you all together in community, in that kind of thing. That's then public prayer. Private prayer. I think that whether or not you, whatever you're thinking about God, you can you can be also looking in on yourself. And and private prayer, therefore, is introspective, and it is about self reflection. It's about reflection on life and a reflection on meaning and reflection on purpose. But in as much as then you read literary stuff when you're reading um, um, stories that people have written that are coming from time periods when people do believe in physical magic, then you are then when people are doing something and they're expecting i mean all these stories that you guys are talking about where you're expecting then you're going to have this booming voice that's like in a in a temple movie or like a mormon visitor center from the 60s you know joseph um you don't join any churches or whatever it's going to happen you know i mean this is like science fiction stuff as opposed to you know the the real real aspect of what it could be useful for. So, well, it's I science would... fiction to you at the time. That's the kind of expectation that we have as believers. I, would, I understand. I understand that. The, I understand that. That's the problem that this institution is is promoting that view. I'm not saying that you were. You're not to blame for that. This institution is doing oh, that. Right. So, John, would you, uh, you 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 characterize public like two kinds, public and private? But I would say that there's two kinds of private prayer. Um, one that Mormons are kind of taught and conditioned to do is kind of like the, um, you know, the Christmas wish list kind yeah. of prayer. And the other kind, which is, I think, the kind that you engage in would be more of the introspective, the general contemplative, um, you know, not expecting that God is going to give you a raise or, <laughs> uh, you know. Right. Uh, help help you cover a bill when you you know your tithing has right. taken where's away. where's my keys right <laughs> yeah right yeah well of course so obviously that's like i'm saying if you're encouraged by an institution or whatever it is to believe in physical magic those kind of things like that you're gonna your keys are gonna materialize or any of those kind of things it doesn't mean that if you aren't more in tune with um 
everything that's going on in life in the universe and knowledge and everything else that you aren't going to be able to better understand the universe around you and be able to better navigate and do better things in terms of your job you're talking about getting like a better job or that kind of thing in other words it's not a matter that part but it's not that's not magic in other words it's not magic in a physical sense there's a real kind of magic which is the magic of being able to um transcend things being able to have you know have i i um conceptualize ideas being able to move beyond limitations those kind of things yeah, but that all sounds like internalized, like goal setting. Yeah, you know? the secret. That's what that sounds like. <laughs> I was going to say that, but all right. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> that was okay. not, not the shot. secret. No, okay, no, I mean, I didn't. I, but it's it's you know, no, it's the, the ability the secret, to. to see, Jake, now you have to see John glare at you when you say yeah. Yeah. like that. We're not yeah, video. Before, exactly. Dude, now I'm like sweating here. Oh, <laughs> have you seen the video of the secret? They have. They actually dramatize a guy sitting in his couch, wishing for more money, and then he walks out jovially to his mailbox, and there's a check there. Okay, well, so then it's not like that. <laughs> it's not about visualizing something, and then you get it. Yeah. So. That's, that's wish. That's the genie. Yeah. God. That's do ut des. I give in order that you will give to me. You know, the old-fashioned kind of, that's, that's, a, that's an earlier stage of religion that a lot of people are, are stuck in, which is, God, if, I, if you will, I will give you, I'll sacrifice, I'll sacrifice my child, I will have a human sacrifice in order to, if you, if you destroy my enemies, or whatever, I will give <laughs> in order that you will give. So you know, we actually had a mission program that that was based on Sacrifice this concept. Children. No, it, it was it was called Seiyaku Dendo, which is covenant missionary work. That it was based on that DNC chapter or verse. I, the Lord, am bound when you do what I say, but you know when you don't, you have no promise. So that it, if you tell the Lord, I will do X, Y, and Z. If you do this, yeah, like you give me more baptisms, I can deliver yeah. more Book of Mormons. Then you can actually bind the Lord to yeah, your right. will. Right. Just right. like every yep. fast Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and if, you guys, if you guys remember, so that's, like, that's we were stuff coming out of the twenty five hundred years ago. <laughs> know, yeah. No, I, I wasn't that. I'm not that old. It was just like <laughs> 1992, 1993. Now Glenn's the Highlander. Yeah, yeah but if, if you guys remember, uh, we were taught to teach um, our converts uh, the four steps of prayer. You know, first you open. Uh, you, to you addressing Heavenly Father, step one. Step two is things you're thankful for. So then you go through and you're like, okay, I got all these good things. And you, you, you go through that list. Step three, do you guys remember? The blessings, the things that you want. Things that you want. And that's where <laughs> Mormonism teaches you to go, this is my wish list, God. Yeah. <laughs> and you go down your wish list, right? Um, which for... Uh, well over a decade, I was praying for my older brother Jimmy's soft, a heart to be softened so that he would come back to the church. Um, so you go through the wish list, and then you close in the name of Jesus Christ. So the way that Mormon, Mormonism teaches how to pray is this wish list thing. Right. It's, really, it's really like writing a letter to Santa Claus every day. Right. And I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to argue that, that the LDS Church and Mormon upbringing isn't an insanely primitive kind of religion it is. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy how backwards it is that it still exists and all that kind of thing, you know, but it does, of course. 
Right, right. But it's yeah. I mean, but when you talk about John, your your vision of like the utility of of prayer as a way of you know tran- transcending oneself and being introspective and that type of thing. I mean, that that's very touching to me. But it's also equally touching, John. You know, Tom, the the idea of like Tom sitting in this. Yeah, empty hospital room, you know, trying to draw, trying to trying to hammer out a deal with God for the you know the life of his son. It's just like, well, but in that you, moment, do you say no? You just sit there in silence. You don't pray. You don't, you know, like he'd be he'd be equally powerless in either case. But at least when he was in the hospital room, I mean, at least when he was praying, he thought there was some something. Well, well when you that's, when that's you're what I'm saying with the whole. That all that uh, description that you just laid out, John, I, I see that as meditation and I see what I'm doing or any sort of form of prayer actually trying to communicate to something out there. Yeah. Whether and right. And I think the assumption is is that something is listening, right? The Mormon God or whatever it is that you want to say it is. And in a way it's like, okay, if I can communicate with you you're going to understand what I'm asking, and that way there can be a little back and forth, right? Like, I'm not just talking to nothing. That way, if I say, I will be willing to do this, I'll fast for 24 hours, and that way the investigator will let us in, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That's that's the kind of prayer that I see. See, when I try meditation now, it's just an easy form. It's like the gateway drug to sleep. I just do it, <laughs> and then I fall asleep. <laughs> But if I'm praying, like there's somebody listening, right. then I'm like articulating my thoughts, like, okay, uh, I don't want to screw this up. Okay, dear God, no, uh, thou shalt listen to what I say. <laughs> so you got to be formal. Yeah. That was the other step you missed, Randy. You got to be formal. Yeah. Yeah. But the, yeah, this, yeah, yeah, this, yeah. But, but in, in that moment, Tom, when you're in that hospital, you are profoundly feeling utterly helpless like you have no control of that situation right absolutely and and the the thought that there is someone powerful enough to gain control of this horrific situation that could happen is comforting is it not of course it is yeah Yeah. that's that's the only thing like you said you're you're in a desperate state you're grasping at straws anything like if there i mean you see this you know in movies all the time, people saying, if there's anything out there, I've never asked for anything, this is my one shot. Please save my family, my kids, me, or whatever it is. And if, that's if, why it's if, such... If this, is, if this is a Hail Mary, so be it. But, you know, make it happen. See, yeah. th- this, this could be in my top three, actually, you know, that we're, we're having this conversation. Because I'm remembering all these times where I actually flipped, and instead of that being comforting for me, I started resenting it. You know, I'm like... Right. If God is omniscient and omnipotent, why do I need to even tell him that my kid is sick and needs help in the first place and try to, to bargain with him? Or even if, if I bring out the oil and I lay my hands on and do the blessing, like that's going to be something that he'll respect. But he w- maybe. But you right. know, somebody who doesn't have the priesthood and doesn't have the consecrated oil, they're shit out of luck. You know, like my, my mind, and I'm like, this is, this is a, you know, like John said, primitive. This is, this is a magical practice. We're trying to exercise magic and power. We're going to the shaman, you know, in a time of desperation. And, and, you know, so it, it, it switched from being 
a sense of comfort to me to being a sense of, of resentment almost to, to where I'd get in when in fights with my ex-wife because she's like, I want you to give our kids a blessing because they're sick. And I'm like, you could give them a blessing. Why can't they just, why can't they just pray to God and ask him to make them better? Does God not right. love them enough to just do that because they I ask? Because he has I know, a like, you, need the, you need the oil, you know? Yeah, like, that's, that's, yeah. and, and the problem with it is, is that this institution that has corrupted this whole thing right. is causing you to have, you know, is causing it to be awful and horrific in all those bad ways. Because, I mean, I have given, I've done administration on multiple occasions where it was an intensely powerful moving thing and what it's doing is it's expressing the love that you have for the person the feelings for them they're feeling comforted they're feeling all of the connection that we all have together in community i mean when when my friend asked me and his another friend to do administration this is the first time i'd done it as an adult because i'd never when i was a kid anyway it was i was not ordained in community of christ priesthood or whatever i just participated of course and um and and in doing that he said hey, look i don't i don't expect you know miraculous healing i don't know what i believe about any of these kind of things but i do know what i believe about uh connections and friendship and and the and the importance of being able to um be supported by by my friends in this way and if and on those circumstances will you administer to me and i said of course i will you know and so, and it was intensely moving and very powerful. And and I've done that multiple times for all kinds of different people. And I think that that's, I think it's really important and powerful. And it's not because though the problem with it is, is then if you think it's this magic trick or something like that, you know, that's the problem. So I think that when Tom is describing this incredible experience that he's having, where it's just, this is this is a pivotal life moment. But the problem with it is, is that it's where this church is teaching that there is some kind of magic bargaining that you're going to have with this Superman guy. Yeah, <laughs> but know, even to. but even if it's not magic that that God is granting your wishes, even if it's like Dumbo's black feather and it's just this object that you focus on that makes you feel like okay, because I've been administered to or whatever. I, I'm able to focus my faith on this, and my faith is going to make me whole. And it's not about God or anything; it's about me believing, you know, like a placebo effect or something. And I've got this. It, yeah, but I don't even think it's about believing. It's, so what? So so, but but you, but you're talking about this great sense of community, and yes, that's what's that's what's it's a human thing that we're yeah. where we're doing, where we're all connecting with each other through you know meaningful ritual that has happened. You know, throughout all of this time, and 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 is anyway. So I, I think that actually it is in, intensely powerful and intensely important. It doesn't mean that magically he's going to be healed or anything like that. And I never tell the story yeah. that it means. And then they were, and then the person is immediately cured of cancer or something like that. That's not the point of it, right? The you know so, the point is that connection and that comfort and that you know at that time in that person's life where we're talking about like for Tom, just this intense pivotal moment in a person's life. Yeah. So, so it sounds like, it sounds like the way you're describing it, John is different than what even the, this, the Dumbo elephant, uh, the, you know, Dumbo's feather type thing that you were saying, because, yeah. right. Because in, in that case, in the case of Dumbo's feather, 
the object of like the, the you know the, the the end goal or the object of, of the whole exercise was to achieve the miraculous result. It was still right. so that he would fly. Lie. <laughs> words, so if he believed in a lie, that's why he did. In right. Words, but but it, this yeah. is not about a lie. There's no lie. But even if he does, I mean, because because it's not centered around the miraculous outcome of having a magical experience where somebody's miraculously healed. It's about it's creating. It's it's about creating that that friendship and community and bond that uh, to help that person in that time. Yeah, it's, and it's it doesn't really rely or try and tap into something supernatural. Is that what you're saying, John? Not supernatural. What I'm saying is again metaphysical. So in other words, something that is not physical magic, but rather our idea, the realm of ideas, the thing that we're all able to transcend by understanding different ideas. You know. And I and I like this is my personal issue with it. So I'm not trying to extrapolate that on on society or anything. I'm just saying for me, when you when you start talking in the language of ritual, you're using ritualistic symbols that that to me are, are too close to the Dumbo's black feather. That you know, like, and I'll give you an example. If if my dad wants to tell me something. I can't really just sit down and have a conversation with him and, be, and have him be very open. If I really want to know what he's feeling, I ask him to give me a father's blessing. Because then he lays his hands on my head and he closes his eyes and he prays to God and he asks God to bless me with all the things that he really has in his heart that he feels like I need. And that, it's an extra, extra layer of vulnerability it, there. Yeah, yeah. And so instead of having this like direct communication where we could just sit down and talk, it has to go through this ritual kind of thing to get that connection. And, and that's probably where I've got some resentment to it or, or whatever. That I, like, I'd like to remove that layer and just have the connection without feeling like it has to be shrouded in ritual to have meaning. Well, and what John was describing is great, and I think it's you know probably the best approach. But for Mormons, it's super important to be able to get an answer to a prayer that now you can use that for the next couple years or forever as this testimony building block. And, I mean, how many times do you hear a testimony meeting where they say, you know, and then I prayed and then this happened. I made a deal with God and then this happened. Those are those spiritual experiences that that almost... I don't know, redefine how they their relationship with the church is because, you know, it can be kind of that bulletproof vest to any doubts or gospel doctrine problems or whatever it is because they can always look back and say, hey, remember that one time when I fasted and prayed or I was in the hospital room and I made a deal with God and he came through for me? Remember that? Yeah, those are, te- those are testimony meeting stories that, pe- that Mormons love. Well, because they, they, right. they put everything on that. That's, they put all their chips on those spiritual experiences. And they're like, all this other stuff just doesn't matter. Because if that happened, which they feel like it did, then that's it. That's all they need. And then they'll just wait till the next one. And then they'll use that one to, you know, whatever. All right, let's move on to number two. All right. <laughs> well, that was interesting. That was, a, that was a fascinating discussion about prayer, good. though. It made me think about it very differently. Yeah, that was good. So it's yeah. Glenn number two. Yeah, this is this is simple. The Book of Abraham, like when <laughs> when, when most people's number one. Yeah, yeah, and 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 for me that you know when when I started or when I realized this means that Joseph Smith was intentionally creating a, a fraud. It just opened up 
uh, Joseph Smith to other criticism, you know, and so like all the Fanny Alger and polygamy and things like that started coming in. But it was it was the the Book of Abraham that really broke Joseph Smith open to me because up to that point he had been kind of bulletproof, Truman Madsen, uh, you know, a, a hero, and uh, then you know, like one, once I found out about that 1967 discovery of the papyri when, and when did you find out about that what about what year do you think um i i was living in japan at the time so it was between 2007 and 2010 so did you ever look there. up the the it, it apologetic was, theories the catalyst or the missing scroll theory did no that it satisfies it, you it, it was no i i didn't it, and, it, and it was it was a result of participating on mormon expression and uh who who Chris, what what's his last name? That he 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 went to Pepperdine. Oh, he was like oh, one of the Chris first Smith. five. Chris Smith wasn't that one of the first Smith. five? Christopher Smith, maybe. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. No, expert on that. Yeah, yeah. And, Claremont and so, College, right? Claremont I think College. Yeah, right, right, like right. That, yeah. And and yep. and so I, I I emailed him back and forth after I I listened to that episode because I had a lot of questions and and just asked him to send me you know pdfs articles and so i started reading them and it didn't take me very long uh to go through that and go wow yeah you know but it made sense it it just it kind of clicked to me like i didn't have john's 16 year old (laughs) revelation about the book of abraham but it didn't take me very long to to see it for what it was and then there was also that there was some youtube video that's still out there that is is about an hour long that tells the whole story of michael chandler It, it dramatizes it in a nice way, but it, it's it's made by uh, some evangelical group that at the yeah, end they, I've seen it. I've seen yeah, it. Yeah, they, they try to like bring you into their church kind of thing. But but it, it was like seeing that helped uh, kind of unravel the whole book of Abraham for me. And, and that 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 was when a lot because I I already had a lot of questions and doubts and things that I was dissatisfied with at that point. But but knocking down Joseph Smith the peg uh, was huge for me. Mm. Yeah, that was. I mean, I, I'm I'm I went second, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah my number two. I, I think I would lump uh, Book of Mormon historicity and Book of Abraham in there because it was nice. I mean, those those ones really stuck with me because chronologically they occurred after the whole Prop Eight kind of initial emotional shock for me, and it was a lot easier for me to grasp onto because the, the 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 arguments against the Book of Abraham or Book of Mormon historicity. I mean, they're I, I, they were a lot more easy to grasp for me because I feel like the 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 arguments around them are a little more coalesced than like you know trying to I'm just I'm just not very good at like history and figuring out what are you know really discerning what's a good source or what's a bad source of like a, a historical account but you know with the Book of Mormon. Uh, anachronisms or stuff like Deuter Isaiah or or Book of Abraham where they have the the what is it the recurring lacunae or what what is it called hey, is that lagamina hey box the but it's basically there was there was some damage sustained to the 1967 scroll uh, the, the book of abraham scroll that was discovered in the, in the, at the met at the met yep. right anyway um there was some damage sustained by it while it was rolled up and 
what they did, what some some researchers did, is they looked at the distance between the because it, it, the the damage had occurred while it was rolled up. It, it 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 there were tears in like multiple places in the scroll because it all hit at the same place and it tore multiple uh, pages within that that roll. Anyway, right. so what and they did Joseph, is they Joseph Smith didn't know that uh, the the guy standing over the person. Had a, was supposed to have a jackal's head, right? Right, and that's when he drew in a dude's head. That's he drew in like the knife, lacuna. Yeah, yeah that's what thinking, it was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, anyways, but they uh, some some researchers actually mathematically used you know calculus and mathematically figured out how long the scroll, the the longest possible, uh, uh, I'm not say length, that the scroll could be, and still have those that that. Um, those damages anyway and basically it excluded the idea that there was like this kind of book of breathings and at the very beginning and then like all this book of abraham bonus content on the edge of, on the end of the scroll <laughs> lots of um, don't forget the book it, of joseph right right anyway the editor's cut right exactly the director's cut right, it's never as good yeah. it's never as good yeah deleted scenes um, <laughs> right right all the bonus content i like that <laughs> look at john shaking his head um well, but anyway it's 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 impossible because the book of abraham is <laughs> the text of it is um dependent on the king james version of the bible so it doesn't matter right. what what how much space you know the mathematicians can find out in the scroll or whatever because the whole thing is dependent on the Bible, which is is itself has nothing to do with with an, any kind of historical Abraham. There is no historical Abraham. You know, it's written um, whatever it is a thousand years after Abraham supposedly lived, and all of that text we can watch the textual transmission from the original authors of the different sources that were combined together and then brought down through you know monk after monk after monk after monk until you get to the King James translators, and then that from that. Um, that's the source because if you it would never be that those same phrases you know would ever get would ever get quoted directly you know into a text right if, it, so if they were working with the original source right. text so it's it absolutely dependent on the king james version of the bible so that doesn't matter because we already have the entire um um textual criticism transmission of the text in other words it comes from there so yeah, I mean, and that's this is exactly so, why I was. Yeah, Jake. Is, I know. Anyway, I'm I should have figured no, that no, out when I was 16. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It, that, that's actually, no, that was that was a great, I mean, that, that's a perfect example of why I gravitated toward those those issues after the initial shakeup, like with Prop 8 and being like, oh, they're, you know, being mean to gay people. And it, it's like my whole worldview was shaken up. And it was, it was really nice for me to be able to grasp on to something. It seemed like the boundaries of the conversation were kind of more easily defined, and it was a lot easier to say, "Okay, what should we expect to see, and what do we see, and does that what does that indicate?" So, anyway, that's my that's my number two. Yeah, a, a lot of people don't realize that the 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 first oh John's leaving right when I'm about to say this. I want him to confirm it. John, just say it, right. Randy. Just come, just come back. back. Come yeah, the, the the first um, uh, confirmed historical figure in the Bible is David. Everyone before that is a myth. So, John. Yes. I just said that the the, the first uh, historically confirmed 
um, character in the Bible is David. Everyone before that is a myth, probably an amalgamation of people that yeah. may have lived in the past. And everything that we know about David in the in the Bible, with the exception of the idea that he is a the founder of the Davidic royal house, um, everything else is a myth. So there's nothing else, nothing that is in the Bible that we know about. Legend. Well, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. It's all but written it, after the fact, and it is all actually more or less referred. It's all court literature that's written, you know, a couple centuries, many, many centuries later, and it's actually to refer to um, people like in the court of Hezekiah and Manasseh and Josiah, and they are, they are writing it as if it was David in order to, because they can't, they can't criticize the actual king, you know? So, so there's all kinds of negative criticism of David, and you think, oh, well, why would they write all of this horrible stuff about David if it wasn't true? Because <laughs> they and were that, going after the king. And, and the reason is, is because they're actually criticizing Hezekiah and Manasseh and, and Josiah. Anyway, so the point of it is, is that everything that's written about that is from about a much later time period. We'd have, we know nothing about David, but like you say, Randy, that, that, that's the earliest figure that we would that that is in the Bible that's actually historical, but we'd know nothing about the historical figure. But Goliath is is real. Yeah, yeah. Except for Goliath, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Actually, I mean, that, actually, that really happened. There's one badass Philistine man. There's actually a there's actually a doublet in the Old Testament on the Goliath story, and um, there's actually another legend that's actually recorded in the Bible of the uh, of another guy that killed Goliath. So the Goliath myth actually Shaquille O'Neal. I don't remember the guy's name because he's not important. But anyway, the Goliath myth is actually a different hero killed Goliath, and that's a story that agglomed onto David. So we right. can even see that within the Bible itself. There's a there's a doublet, and Goliath is said to be killed by somebody else in in the Bible. So I wasn't saying that uh, everything that was written about David in the Bible was true. I was just saying yeah, that yeah. he's the earliest person that exa- is, is, is can be confirmed as a real person. Except you're, when you're searching with the spirit, and then the spirit. <laughs> okay, you don't need to whisper this, Glenn. Come on, yeah, Glenn. I'm going back don't. to the Aggie Land Smackdown because don't. because look, history is a flickering lamp, right. and you can't really know. You can't really know until the spirit confirms to you. This. Right, right, right. Shut, shut the door. Flickering All right, lamp. Greg, what's your number two, Randy? All right. Well, my number two is your number three, um, and the reason why it's so important to me was. I had had kind of this like uh, slow burning faith crisis from 2006 to 2008, and uh, I lived in Arizona, so we didn't have Prop 8. But my faith crisis buddy lived in Sacramento, so he was going through Prop 8. I was going through Prop 102. I was the high priest group leader, so they were asking me to make phone calls and to uh, put a sign in my yard to donate money. And I wrote him an email saying, "I don't feel." any of this stuff. I don't feel good about doing any of this stuff. Does this make me a bad Mormon? And that's really what um, started me down the fast track six months later. I was an atheist. Um, so the, and, and I've already talked about my history and guilt with homosexuality. You know, uh, Prop 22 when I was in California at the time, knocking on doors, making phone calls, um, and then, and then the moment I had with the gay professor at USC when he made me feel horrible, 
um, about how me and my Mormon dental students were, you know, would, would make fun of gay people. So I had built up all of this guilt and then prop eight happened. And that's, that's really what made the faith crisis something important for me to really sort out. Um, I was, I had spent two years with, a slow burning doubt, but not willing to really engage, but that made it kind of a moral imperative. And that's why it's my number two. You know, in a lot of ways, Randy, I think your scenario and my scenario, as far as like being homophobic, yeah, I, I share that and it sucks to have to admit it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, when I was in high school, I had some of my football teammates would go out and gay bash, like actively gay bash. Um, one, one of the nights that they tried to get me to go out, uh, one of the guys pulled out a twenty-two and shot the gay person. What? What? Yeah, and it, it was on the news. Uh, they didn't, of course, they didn't catch him because it was a kind of hit and run thing. Um, Wait, but you knew who had done it? Yeah. Holy crap! Did you tell anybody? Not until now, but the statute of limitations was up three years ago, Biatch. Wait, so so did I mean <laughs> the guy? Didn't I'm just die. trying to trying yeah, to make guy, it. The survived. guy didn't die; he survived. Um, oh, Jesus! And, and the guy was a total like gangbanger. So I didn't. I was scared for my own safety if I turned him in. And you know, I was a kid. I was like 17, and mm. and but that guilt has always stuck with me. So, yeah, I was a horrible person. <laughs> nah. Matt, look at Randy now. He's a hug- ugly teddy bear, dude. <laughs> I know. God, that was... That, that reminds me of when I was 15 and we would throw, heavy, man. throw eggs out of my friend's car. And <laughs> I, like, I, I hit a homeless person in the face. Like right around Christmas time, oh, and, and he's like, and he's like wandering out in the middle of the road, and they're all laughing, and I'm looking at him, and and the thought that went through my mind was, "Merry Christmas, Jesus," and I gave myself like the hugest guilt trip. I'm like, I'm never ever doing that again, like that. So it wasn't shooting. So Jesus did something 22. good then, right? Well, yeah, yeah. Like if he, in if my, you got in it to mind, never right. do that again, because yeah. do not do that again, right? Yeah, I, like I was thinking, <laughs> you seriously could have taken his eye out. Oh, Next infant's outing. He, he was wandering <laughs> around in the middle people. of traffic, and and uh, you know, like the the in as much as you've done it unto the least of these, my brother. That totally went through my head, and I'm like, man, I I am horrible. So I repented of that. God, yeah. Well, I mean. In defense of my 17-year-old self, they tried to get me to go uh, probably a half dozen times, and I refused each time because the thought was repulsive to me. But in uh, indictment of myself, I never told anyone what was going on. Because you were afraid that you were going to get sucked up into the invisible anus and attacked by the shit piranhas. Oh, I'm telling you about the shit piranhas. <laughs> I hate those buggers, dude. Yeah. <laughs> All right, who's next? John. The John. Johan. So my number two is leader worship. 
Um, so the Mormon church is just entirely focused on leader worship. I can't even believe to this day in my Facebook feed all of the just leaders, leaders, everything the leaders said, leaders died or every, every I mean, this, all the stuff, you know, I mean, the, the leaders are so central and everybody cares about this thing. And here are these guys who are, as far as I've ever heard, nitwits. I've never heard them say a single thing. <laughs> that is that is worth even listening to, much less like devoting your life to quoting and regurgitating and t- telling talks on their talks and everything like that. And I mean, just this this idea that you have to just worship leaders it's just it's just so offensive to me. Yeah. And and it's the it's the I mean, there are so many embarrassing parts about Mormonism, from holy underwear to. <laughs> The racism to the the bigotry and every other thing, but this leader worship thing is just it's I for me I, it's amazing to me. So, oh yeah, I guess we should uh, breaking news on Infants on Thrones, but Tom Perry's still alive. I don't know if you yeah. know. Yeah, no, El, El Tom <laughs> is still alive. El yeah. Tom, El so, Tom. So you listeners yeah. out there, I'd appreciate it if you'd stop sending me messages asking me if I'm still alive. That'd be great. Thanks. Live and well. <laughs> Little and well, <laughs> oh PSA there. <laughs> yeah, that was some. That's an interesting. I mean, the, someone uh, I read something. It was like a Reddit post or something. A few. It was actually several months ago, but it stuck with me, which is um, where it was like you know, in, in in kind of the court of public opinion, like the the Mormon leaders have like little to no clout whatsoever. I mean, if the Dalai Lama writes a book. It's New York Times bestseller. Like people listen, people have him on, people listen to him. I mean, when was the last time you saw a book by a Mormon leader that was sold anywhere except Deseret Book, or out of the, outside of the state of Utah? Deseret Book, but then you had to put that exception in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, outside of its own, outside of its own publishing company. Yeah, you know, it's they're, not they're not they're not revered. They're not looked to as like leaders of thought. They're not looked to as. People to because that's not what the church that's not what the church the values. Church. That's not where they look for people. They don't look for the the biggest thinkers in the whole church and, and appoint them or something like that. I mean, everybody has has said for decades that Thomas Monson is this empty suit, you know, that was coming, you know, that, that that's on a schedule to be in charge someday, and then that's what ends up happening, right? Yeah, but but the way that the leaders treat them is as if they're these great philosophers or something, you know, and it's just. I don't know. It just seems so vapid. It's great philosophers. I don't know, but but actual mouthpieces of the Lord. Yes. No, but what they say is vapid. That's the perfect word for that to describe Mm. General Conference every six fucking months. I don't know. I want Glenn to whisper this a little bit to me because I feel like I'm so outside of this. It fills up my Facebook feed, and I'm just amazed that people care. That I mean, that, that right. anybody cares what any of them say ever, because they never say anything. And I, and actually, I, I was you know since L. Tom died, I was actually looked at the like just the Wikipedia article on it and things like that. And there's like four or five of them that I've actually never even heard their names before. I feel like mm-hmm. <laughs> just <am> not interested. <laughs> right. You know, there's, there's the, the little ones. You know, the newer ones. Right. But it's just like, who cares? Why would anybody care? I mean, well, I mean, it's, it's not that I, I, I think it's a little harsh to say they don't say anything. It's, it's just that their wisdom that they impart at General Conference is very chicken soup for the soul kind of wisdom. It's like the little mini so that Allison put together for us. You know, can, can a, you tell the difference between, you know, what 
Jack Handy said, or whatever. That's right. deep thought. Right. But no, yeah, you know, yeah. No, it I mean, might as well be. A computer know? program could be could be written by the correlation committee to actually right. write all the talks. Right. right. And then you just have to, and then you just have to, you know, it'll just pepper in. You know, when I was a a young man in Depression era Utah, we didn't have this and that, right. or whatever right. dumb story you're going to throw in. I mean, it can all be gen- computer generated. There's nothing going on. It's just nothing. Well, but it no. touches. It does touch people. So I mean, they, no, it touches people because it's telling them the same thing that they expect to hear every every six months. It's well, nothing it that you wouldn't them. find. Touches them because they worship leaders. In other words, because we have a celebrity culture in yeah. the first place, and then they're right. they're self made celebrities. There's no content to it. Yeah. What? And, right. And what, right. What, okay. I, I I have a very distinct memory in Elders Quorum of uh, coming face to face with this and just being repulsed by it when somebody was saying. On our mission, we had a general authority that told us that we have to read our scriptures once a day, and uh, if we do, then we'll have this amazing thing. And, and I don't remember which general authority was, but whoever it was, I just know he's smarter than I am. And I went, wow, just because he's got this calling, you're going to defer to him. And it was like that whole hero worship thing. Right. And I went, I can't, I can't go with that. I'm too proud I'm de- like I'm definitely too proud for that. <laughs> I am. Well, yeah, well, good. Like I'm just going to defer to you because you've been called to this position, and I'm going to turn off my brain and go. Well, you must know better than me. The thinking well, has been done. Yeah. Well, I re- I actually remember because I met Howard W. Hunter once, and I remember thinking name dropper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did you, was it's it at the Dick- real? Was that the Dairy Cafe Rio? Was that the Dairy Keen? <laughs> the was Dairy the Keen, or was it Thirty Two Flavors? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Basket Robins. Yeah. Um, I I just remember thinking at the time, like, oh my gosh, this is a guy who's seen Jesus. Right. That's what I remember thinking, yeah. not thinking that he's some, you know, way you know, old wisdom kind of guy. I just remember thinking. This human being has seen Jesus. Right. And he gets direct inspiration. So anything he says is really what God wants you to know. And that's why you defer to them. And, you know, the stuff he could tell me. Not the stuff he does tell me, but the stuff he could tell me. Yeah. Boom. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Do do you guys remember uh, Bob giving me shit? Because, like, someone was. Someone. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So, well, in this specific instance, um, uh, uh, somebody mentioned uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. And I said, ah, and I was like, I didn't like what he said about philosophy. How philosophy is irrelevant now. And Bob's like, you always do that. You always uh, have, you know, these great these these people, these famous people. You always have this one thing you don't like about them, or <laughs> or something. And and to me, that's um, this aversion I have to the hero worship culture that I, I was raised in. Yeah. When I left the church, all of a sudden, I was like, I I don't want to hero worship anybody. And there, uh, some 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 author did a, a really um, good biography on Martin Luther King. And Martin Luther King used to swear all the time. He was a womanizer, but but what he did was so important, you know. <laughs> and 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 so people were like, they criticized the author, saying, "I thought you were you know, going to say you really related to that." Right. No. He swear it all the time. He's a womanizer. I totally look at that. My no. kind of guy. No. But this author took a lot of flack because they're like, why? Why do you have to show all those warts? And he's and his answer was like, I, you know, it. This is a human being, and this is what he was like. Yeah. And to like to try to create some cartoon version of him is is a discredit to his memory. Yeah. 
This and, is this is what I've heard a lot of people say about Rough Stone Rolling. Oh yeah, about the book is like, oh, he's a human, you know. Like it's it's okay to show these kind of you know imperfections because maybe he yeah, punched but people the, or whatever. Those people have the presupposition that he also was a prophet of God and saw. So, Jesus. Randy, do you hate the idea like that we put statues of people up? Because that isn't that kind of a form of idolatry or like uh, deifying well, this person. Like, oh, you know, because Brigham Young, there's a, several statues of that dude all what? over the <laughs> campus because, you know, he's so freaking amazing. Like you said, I don't I don't really have a problem with statues, like especially like Thomas Jefferson in front of the University of Virginia. I mean, I mean, he's the reason why they um, exist. But Thomas Jefferson also slept with a lot of his slaves and promised his slaves that when he died, he would free them and then reneged on that. You know, Thomas, Jef- Thomas Jefferson had a lot of flaws, but he also is the reason why the University of Virginia exists. So I don't have a problem with a statue like that. Um, and I don't really give any thought to idolatry. <laughs> right. And I guess I'm kind of conflating the two. I mean, it's a little different when somebody says, okay, this isn't like with Martin Luther King, you're recognizing, you know, the, the, the impact he did on in civil liberties in the U.S., but it's not like there's this overarching philosophy that you're supposed to follow legalistically that he revealed to us and we have to respect, you know. So I can see Martin, what you're saying. And, and the real Martin Luther King is a hell of a lot more interesting than a cartoon caricature of him. Right. All right, Elton. Number two, it's, it's very related to, to Hamer's. Um, but mine's got a little bit of a spin on it. In fact, I, I originally put Mountain Meadows as my number two. And number one? But, because these two are kind of interconnected. It's the <laughs> prophet infallibility or the prophet being fallible. I just, I mean, that's my number one now, but I have to stick with my number one as Mountain Meadows just because people have heard that shit from me for so long. Yeah, because you've never spoiler. shut up. You've I got to sta- stick <laughs> with spoiler, the narrative. Spoiler. Spoiler alert! Yeah, exactly. We got to bleep that out. <laughs> no, I, it's it's something that Matt said on one of the earlier podcasts. I can't remember where Mormons really do believe that their prophets, when they're speaking for the church, are infallible, and many prophets and apostles have said as much. And they also want to give room to these are just guys; they're fallible people or whatever. But when you really get into the nitty gritty of history you start to realize, oh, my gosh, these guys were involved with, like, heinous crimes, <laughs> you know, like felonies and, you know, Mass really. Murders. Yeah, and that's that's the stuff where, because I still remember talking to my state president about it when he was asking me, what's the big deal about Mountain Meadows anyway? It's not a big deal. It happened 150 years ago. Who cares? And I remember thinking. Um, <laughs> Who cares about the 6 million Jews at the Holocaust? <laughs> Jesus and Christ. Right. That happened, that happened 70 years ago. ago. <laughs> Yeah, and then other part of the worried. world. Now you're worried about the Armenians. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I just, but I, but I remember thinking, well, the reason why, one of the reasons why it matters so much is because if Brigham Young was involved in criminal activity, doesn't that matter? I mean, do you think that the mouthpiece of the Lord, the 
the prophet of God could be involved with criminal activity. And it's always that, well, I don't know. We weren't there. What kind of criminal activity are you talking about? I mean, really? I mean, there was a lot of good things he did, too. Or why do you ignore all the good things he did and just focus on all the evil and bad things that he did? So well, I don't know, Tom. Why are, you, why are you only concerned about the felon? What, why you- <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> I remember, because I, I, I just, there was, there was some misdemeanors. <laughs> yeah. Nobody talks about those. <laughs> they had a long list of unpaid parking tickets. <laughs> but he also did a lot of good things, too. I mean, I think, I think he said some nice things. I mean, that, that was, really. that's, 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 <laughs> I know. The one thing that drives me the most nuts is because they they want to hold prophets to this just underneath infallibility level, but they also want to grant all this fallibility. Like, oh, they're just guys. I mean, Joseph Smith, he, I mean, he never had kids with any of those women, and there was no evidence of sexual relations, so there must not have been, or whatever horseshit excuse it is. It just, it's like, okay, so we're just going to grant them all this fallibility room. But yet you still, I mean, as a Mormon, you know that you're holding this infallibility when they're speaking for God. I just, you want to have both at the same time. And it just, I don't know. That's the, that's the, the whole thing, though. All of, all of that apologetic crap that is done to make Joseph Smith a Superman to, is totally going to break down when there, when there is an actual Mormon rough stone rolling for Brigham Young. In other words, if that was actually ever to be done, which it hasn't been, Mormons totally ignore Brigham Young now. But Brigham Young is just, he, he is not redeemable. The guy, the guy is redeemable. He has hard, I mean, there's hardly anything you can even, you can put on the, on the positive side of the ledger for the he was doing just horrific stuff. And, and for all of the, oh, well, I mean, now that we're so obsessed with sex, Joseph Smith didn't have sex with the women that we try to pretend. Well, you're never <laughs> going to be able to prove that with Brigham Young. Yeah, exactly. 50-plus <laughs> <laughs> yeah. wives and boasting yeah. uh, about and having uh, the, his kids. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, right. <laughs> you can't, that's that's uh, Joseph's get-out-of-jail card is that uh, nobody can find any DNA evidence that he had any yet. kids with his wives yet. Yet. It's going to happen. But it's such a stupid... Whatever. It doesn't it's matter. stupid... Stupid argument. It's stupid. It's stupid. Right. Anyway, and what, and by the time in the end of the day, it's gonna. It doesn't. It doesn't hold up when you try to bring Brigham Young into it. Then, yeah, right. Because he right. was next, and the fallibility is just out of control. Yeah. <laughs> it's all fallible. It's all. I know. And even Jake, because remember we talked about this with the Aggieland thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy's like, "Oh, you got to contextualize it." You know, even yeah. even Those, when you contextualize Brigham Young, his racism was like, worse. It's like right. all of the. All of those, all of those people that live on the sun just look like Quakers. No, no, he didn't mean that. He meant that they. They're wearing unitards. I mean, what, what, what are we saying? You know what I mean? All, it, it's, it's funny because my dad, when I still meet up with him, every once in a while, he'll, I mean, even recently, he'll say, so, how you feeling about Brigham Young now? I was like, the dude hasn't changed. <laughs> right. but what he's if, dead. Am I supposed to feel better now? Like, our relationship is much better because he's apologized for so much shit in the last couple of years. Right, right. No, he's free. No. 
he finally, you know, finally he finally came clean on the whole handcart thing. That was his fault. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, right. it's so sad. Uh, you know. Oh, thank you, Brigham, so for finally coming clean on that one. That only you know. <laughs> Whoopsie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This is. <laughs> that would be a funny. That would be a funny like mini-sode series of like just bringing people on from church history and having them do like a formal apology. Be like, oh, we got we got Brigham on Brigham Young today. You know, do you have anything you want to say? Yeah, I kind of screwed up the handcart thing. That was a (laughs) that was a doozy. Blew it. Really blew it there. I guess you shouldn't have protected all those guys with the masker, right? Yeah. You You know, looking back, (laughs) right. Man, I thought I got rid of all the documentation. Right, right. So close. Exactly. Ooh. All right. Who's I can next? I can always go back to to Krista the psychic and just get the real Brigham Young on. Oh, get the yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah the, the, real, the real the real Brigham Young is like my only regret is that I didn't have my Danite slit all your ancestors' throats. You. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Actually, you that, that that would be a better minisode, like the reluctant apology, like the forced apology. You've got something over him, you got to force it, but he really yeah. is just yeah. I'm, <laughs> signs, so the signs. Right. You know what's, you know what's funny? I actually fouls fall out. I actually thought that I was going to be the guy who hates Brigham Young the most, and now it's like a competition, and I think Hamer's winning. I mean, Randy's yeah. a close second, but I. I thought I yeah. was the guy. You know? The closest thing that Brigham would ever come to apology is, I'm sorry you're such a fucking idiot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I yeah. said I'm sorry. No, but you, I think you're such right. such a committed asshole. I mean, I mean, Brigham Young was am- amazing, I mean, in his assholery. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, he's just un, 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 for so, so unrepentant. I mean, the guy, here's a guy who, you know, you know, who was a, he had, you know, he has the same limitations of Joseph Smith in terms of being uneducated, doesn't know anything, and you know, all those kind of things. But he's so proud of it, <laughs> as opposed to Joseph Smith, who was like, like a lifelong learner trying to learn, and he would only like he'd regress into his insecurities when somebody challenged him who knew more than him, and then he then he then he'd be an asshole. But Brigham Young was an asshole first. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So where's his grave? Can we all just like uh, meet there sometime? Yeah, I'll, take, know, the, I'll take a shit on top of it. The church, the church hides it. The Mormon church just hides its grave. His grave it's guarded. Oh, yeah, so, no, no, it's not guarded. You can go there. It's hidden yeah, away. It's, it's very easy to get. Yeah, so you, we we can have a little thing. Can we yeah, all can we all drop well, drop well, trowel, sunstone, sunstone, little ritual, yes. sunstone, little ritual. Right. Exactly. We do our sunstone ritual. I know that some of you don't have the same feeling about rituals that I do, <laughs> but I think I think that in some I cases rituals have fine meaning. Ritual. Rituals have meaning. Yep. God, okay. you're making the it sound like, reason, like the number one reason, Glenn. <laughs> right. Number one reason. Okay, but before I give my number one reason, I, I, I love Jake's idea a while back about doing the a musical version of the uh, Reed Smoot hearing. Oh, right. So yeah. got to do that. And then yeah, yeah. immediately that, after, right? we've got to do a Journal of Discourse as the musical. Yeah, Brigham Young's greatest hit, right? Right? That's gonna go on forever. No, no, we don't do the whole thing. I mean, just like we're not not doing the we're not doing the whole Reed Smoot thing either. I mean, it's like the highlights. The greatest hit, (laughs) Yeah, that's why it's taking so long. Yeah, (laughs) this this musical is forty two hours long. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Bob would never sign off on that. 
Neither would Tom. Yeah, neither would Tom. Okay, so my number one, we've touched on this already, but it's the ethnocentrism in the church and uh, like all of the superiority, uh, the superiority, the superior attitudes that I saw in people like my my ex mother in law that would drive down the street and she would point out the people in her neighborhood that weren't members of the church, but they were probably terrestrial people and the, but those people over there were definitely telestial and, you know like they're, oh they're, so, they're terrestrial worthy you know the, the, is that is that like spun worthy yeah the guy who, who they're gonna stood make great servants man the guy who stood up in church and and for his opening prayer was uh our our beloved heavenly father we are so humble to be the most blessed Show of me. all thy people yeah. on the earth yeah. you know and i'm like <laughs> We're so humbled to be the most blessed of all the people on the earth. And I'm like, I don't think that word means what you think it means, you know. So the, all that false humility. And Glenn, um, Glenn, do you think it's ironic, though, that they have this, like, uh, this little mythology of the Rammy Umptum? Yeah, I was going to go there. I've got it written down right oh, here. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, and John, John <laughs> said it earlier. It. That proved it. Yeah, John said it earlier, and I, I kind of smiled when he mentioned the Rammy Umptum, um, that, that – when I, I started looking at that Remyumptum, that here you've got these Zoramites that are standing up and praying that we're so much we're we're so thankful that we're so much better than everybody else uh, around us that we're so much more chosen. And I always I always felt like we're almost there, except that the Zoramites denied Christ, and Mormons don't deny Christ. But then I started thinking about like priesthood blessings, and you know how I've talked before about how. Like Christ's atonement is dormant until the Mormon priesthood activates it. Right. Like, that's kind yeah. of a form of denying Christ, you know. Like Christ is only as impactful as Mormons uh, allow him to be through our priesthood ordinance thing. So, yeah. It, it, but it's all it's all lumped into ethnocentrism. And when when I saw the the Book of Mormon musical, um, you know, Randy was there. We saw it on on opening night with a big group of people uh, from the Mormon Stories group. And just like a dam broke inside of me because I was watching this Elder Price, mostly me, and it was it, like, I was just looking at myself, and it's like knowing that this was written by non Mormons, and this is how they see us, and that we're it's so spot on with that ethnocentric view. It just it kind of shattered any shelf, any remnant of pretended shelf that I had um, at that point. So. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's it. That's it. That. Well, I can, I want to piggyback on this one because mine's basically the same thing. It's the kind of legalistic, pharisaical yeah. uh, exclusivity of Mormonism where there's uh, actually Eugene Merman, who's a um, stand-up comedian and voice. He does a lot of voices on cartoons. But anyway, he has um, – uh, one of his comedy albums is the, – the title is God is an Autistic 12-Year-Old Boy. <laughs> and and it's got it's it's around and uh, that always sticks in my head when you have the two witnesses when somebody's getting baptized because like God's up there and it's like no he he needs to go all the way under the water all the way under the water there yeah. was a hair that was right. uh, not fully submerged exactly you know they, I, I actually uh, this is a funny I don't know if any, I've ever I've told you guys this story but I was actually sealed twice in the temple because the sealer did the whole ceremony 
And after we did our like kiss the bride thing, so we you know, we do do the whole ceremony, kiss the bride, and then Erica's dad goes up to the sealer. It's like, oh, you forgot to say a word, and he was like, you know what, you're right, I forgot to say a word. So then they had to seal it again. So like the second sealing was the one that counted, but like the kiss was super awkward. Exactly, because the kiss, the first kiss was awesome. Like it was like super. I don't know. It was like spontaneous. It was like all we were all there. The passion was there, and it was all good. And then the second one was just like lame because it's like okay, this time with feeling. It's like fuck you. You know that's what I was thinking. <laughs> Stupid bullshit. But the first one didn't count, Jake. See? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's embarrassing, dude. I feel for you. And that's all over the temple, you know. They got witnesses for baptisms of the dead to make sure every little thing is done right. And then when they somebody goes, um, I don't think he pronounced the name right. Oh, it'll all be sorted out in heaven. Right, exactly. <laughs> I, I used to think that about the sacrament with the, you know, like you cover the bread when you're blessing the water with like that little lacy thing so that the right. blessing rays don't like accidentally hit the it's water like, when like they're directed radiation. to the bread and right gospel radiation. yeah the gospel radiation you know like <laughs> yeah anyway, but that's all yeah. that's all part of the magic worldview and right you know right. like that you have to be precise in what you say or else you won't have you know that the elements don't have to obey you Right, right. Oh, and you know, everyone's like, everyone's had a hundred experiences with the with the poor, awkward priest that messes up three times in a row yeah. on a prayer and has to say it again and again. My, my asshole bishop, he he let this kid go eight times. Oh my god! And I remember around five or six, you know, there was always that person's like, oh, let it go, yeah, Just let it be. And and when he went to seven. And I, and I just looked up. I'm like, I'm going to freaking walk. This John's losing his shit. I want to go up to the poor kid and say, dude, let's just let's just Jerry Maguire. Let's bail. Yeah. Well, right. and like, can you imagine if that's your kid? Like, like uh, you're the parent and, and you're so, watching and so your the, son be humiliated this, in front of the whole ward and the bishop's allowing it and instigating the, the, it. The oh, eighth so. time the bishop goes down from the stand. And kneels next to the kid, oh. and then helps him through it. Oh my god! Oh my god. I whispers dude. in his ear. What a Pharisee! <gasps> it's the, one of the most traumatic experiences that I've ever witnessed. It was horrible. Yeah, yeah. That's the stuff of number oneness. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that, it's that deserved. Was, it's deserved. Uh, uh, yeah, that's the shit I'm talking about. So that's my number one. Yeah. Amen. All right. So my number one isn't really. A big one, but it's it's my number. This is my number. This is my number one reason I left the Mormon Church. But it's not a big thing. I don't. No. Nobody it's would more care. like a three or four. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I left. But Look at Randy. He's just rocking a, back and forth. It's not a big oh. deal. <laughs> so, John, <laughs> the little echo. That starts an avalanche. Is that not significant? Okay, there you go. Yeah, well, I'm right. sure it's big then. Okay. Ooh, well, it started something big in my life. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm sorry. So <laughs> I was just merrily going on my way in my life. 2006, um, I've been practicing for a year as an orthodontist. Um, adopted a kid. My wife is pregnant. I'm so happy. <laughs> Such a happy Mormon. And then I get a phone call from my best friend, um, uh, saying he has read a book called Rough Stone Rolling. And I'm like, you know, you, you know that hubris you have um, before you have a faith crisis. Like, there's nothing that could destroy my testimony. 
So I just boldly said, dude, just tell me what's bothering you. And he told me about polyandry. And I had never heard that before. And the earth literally, they didn't literally, figuratively shifted <laughs> underneath my feet. Like it was, I got dizzy. I, I walked over to the stairs and I sat down and I tried to be the friend that, you know, that, that real believing friend that supports uh, someone in doubt. But at the same time, crushing doubt was falling all around me. And, uh, so you didn't just believe that it was a lie? I mean, you didn't just like, oh, this is this can't be true. Like, it, there was no. I tried. I, I I said, okay, where's your source? You know, that that was my first question. What's your source? And he says, the guy's a patriarch. <laughs> His name is Richard Bushman. He is an active patriarch, and he's a historian, and he's a believer. And I'm like, oh my god. And and I I think I went out that day to Deseret Book. It was like a 40 minute drive from where I lived, and bought the book. And I went straight to the index to find polyandry and then went right to where the polyandry section was. And uh, it was, it was um, quite a traumatic thing for me. But it was something that I kept private for about two years because I was, you know, I, I was a high priest at the time. And so much like polyandry. Kept private for several years. <laughs> yeah. No, did you share any of the inner turmoil with even your wife at the time? No, like this not, been- not until their anniversary when he broke it to her over dinner. Oh. Yeah, six years later. Yeah. Jeez, dude, he must have um, a bad way. Yeah, I was. Uh, it was uh, a weird time in my life where I felt like I was living a double life. And, um, but I just, like, the more I tried to come up with some way that he could be justified in doing this, the more it led me down the rabbit hole. And so, I mean, it's, it's really the, one of the least significant reasons why the church is just false, <laughs> but it, it was, it's, that's, it's not, it's not, a, this isn't like not on people's top list though. <laughs> this is something that's actually, especially, I don't know, it's important that all the different, things that are going on with the polygamy and all the things that are going on with that kind of betrayal affect a lot of people, you know? So Yeah, you're, yeah. you're not the only one that has, would have rough stone rolling right up at the top. Or yeah, poly- common. Or, yeah, or polyandry yeah. either, yeah. Right, right. Um, it's just that Brigham Young was just so much worse than polyandry. <laughs> I mean, mass murders, you know, a systematic racism. But but this this was like when when you became open to all the other criticism, right? right. It was the first yeah. time that I could ask the question: Is it possible the church is not true? Right. Before that, yeah. I, that, that question was incoherent to me. Yeah. Nice. So how do you respect people who still believe all this stupid stuff? But we have, <laughs> I, do you respect, uh, I think we're going to have to push that one. I know we what? are. That's not going to work. Yeah. Do you yeah. respect your dad? Uh, well, let's let's. Uh, I don't. I, really, have, I don't really know my dad that well. But I mean, but that's I mean, sad, like, I, it is. It is. But but it's it's uh, it's one of the reasons why I want to talk about respect. You know, eventually, I don't think we're going to get to it this time. But because. Yeah. Like you can love people, but can you love people without respecting them? Can you respect people without admiring them? Yeah, well, I looked up you know, the definition of respect. I was like, "Holy shit, this doesn't mean what I think it means." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But but let's. But we still it's got a fun conversation. We still got John and uh, Tom. To right, go. right. Yeah. And speaking with John. 
Well, mine, my, mine is known, I mean, because I've already said this in the last podcast or whatever, which was, or a couple podcasts, which are, was that sexism was the number one problem that I have with the church. And I think it's still the number one disqualifying thing right now, which is I can't imagine that people are able to raise children in this environment because the environment is um, so thoroughly um, ingraining and legitimizing this horrific gender role environment, which is not only just devastating for girls to grow up in, but it's also really horrible for boys to grow up in to, to be subjected to this. So the sexism is, is so much more universal and ubiquitous to say, oh, well, Catholics are, are sexist. They don't have women priests either. But priests are a weird thing in the Catholic Church. Priests are these guys that are, there's only a couple of them, yeah. and, the, and, they, and they are not, they're not involved in the family structure and all this kind of thing. It's like a, an alien has come to visit you or something like that. In Mormonism... You don't have 12-year-old <laughs> deacons in Catholicism yeah. and 16-year-old priests. And, yeah. yeah. No, in Mormonism, every single thing is a priesthood leadership, and every and priesthood is every, all men on all boys. And, and and, and and so it is it is it is just hits every up and down the whole thing and and because it's so ubiquitous and because it's you can't you can't overcome it i mean and so the only overcoming that people have in it yeah you can grow up in a hostile environment and transcend the environment and be a wonderful per, you know a person in in the future but it the environment itself is so toxic that i can't i can't imagine that people of good conscience can actually um be part of it uh, with children, so yeah, and that's something. I mean, it's probably telling that that that's of of all the other like top threes. There've been a lot of overlap, and then John's the only one that has said sexism, which makes me feel a little bit bad. But I don't know. It's 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 just it's hard to. I mean, it, I believe that patriarchy hurts everybody, but it's it's hard to recognize the harm the the downside. It's more difficult to recognize the downsides when you're on the quote unquote you know beneficiary side of it right it's, it's, but it's bad for you too yeah i mean i agree i agree it's it's bad for me too it's just it's harder yeah. i guess it's like i don't i didn't recognize it as readily or i didn't internalize the harm from it as as readily or as overtly as if i was con- you know I, I can't imagine what it would be like if i was in the congregation and every single person in any sort of leadership position or you know virtually every person that we are hero worshiping like you're talking about john was a man or was a woman, you know, and like I was totally and systematically barred from even participating in that structure. I can't imagine how horrible that would be. Yeah, sexism is something that we all, all of us, I think, have eventually uh, come across, uh, you know, come to grips with and dealt with. Um, but because we were all privileged white males, um, uh, well, all of us were straight except for John. Uh, and, and John was just a lot smarter than us. <laughs> <laughs> but uh like all of us uh eventually came across and dealt with the topic of sexism it just wasn't it wasn't something that um was a catalyst well i don't know that we really have dealt with it in the right, right. ways or not yeah. you know I mean, i'm not saying we dealt I, with it the right ways i said eventually I, we came think... we, we we came we came to grips with it and had to deal with it because it's there you're saying that you're saying that you see that it exists now, but that wasn't the thing that stuck out at you about the church. 
It wasn't, yeah, and it wasn't anything that um, was problematic with me until I I lost I lost the uh, you know grip of the belief not grip but uh, it lost its grip on me the belief system. Yeah, and I I kind of lump it in with the ethnocentrism and just kind of my disdain for priesthood in general. Um, but I think that's an indication that I really haven't dealt with it as a specific issue, you know, so that, that there's probably much more there for me to, to realize that I just haven't. Yeah, but you're, you're Cause I you don't gotta, have to, I haven't gotta, been faced with it and I'm not, Yeah, you have, you got a teenage daughter, right? I mean, you didn't want her being raised in that sexist environment where she's taught that her entire self-worth is finding a worthy priesthood holder? No, my my fourteen year old, almost fifteen, she still attends church regularly. She's going to girls camp next week, and this is something she jokes around all the time. We we went for a long walk the other day, and she was talking about she doesn't want to uh, marry a Mormon boy, but when she has kids, she wants them to have some kind of social, you know, thing like the you know. So we're having these kinds of conversations, but she she recognizes and really hates that. Uh, try to find a worthy priesthood holder message that she gets anytime she does go to church. So, but 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 I'm I'm just saying for like you know like I can recognize that part of it, but I still don't think that I've I've spent a ton of time to where I can empathize with the the plight of you know the the disenfranchised you know because I never I never had to you know I mean even with my daughter is. We, I, I left several years ago, and they've pretty much left with me, even the ones that still have to go occasionally. But, uh, well, I, I still remember the first time I actually witnessed, you know, my my male privilege bias and seeing what sexism does to women is when I married my wife. Well, I guess it was poor when she goes through the first time, and then right. you escort her through the veil or whatever. Because as soon as we go through the motions. My wife is, this is her first time through the temple, so she's got all these questions, and she she comes through, and, you know, spoiler alert, the guys actually lead the women through the veil. And then it's Jesus who lead us, you know, privileged males through the veil. So, sorry, yeah. ladies. We right. get Jesus, they get us. Right. Anyway, so, so my wife gets in there, and, like, and she immediately says, so wait a second, so who led you through the veil? Jesus. So you lead me through the veil? Yeah. She's like, why do I have to cover my face? Because uh, you're more pure? <laughs> <laughs> you know, at the, it's, at the time... At because, the time I re- because Jesus is gay. You <laughs> <laughs> <He> wanted me. <laughs> I just Jesus, remember... Jesus was, was, was gay for me. Yeah. And I remember the last question she asked me was, so you get to know my secret temple name, but I don't get to know yours? And I remember in that moment thinking, yeah, that's not fair. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. bullshit. Did you ever tell her? No, I never did. Aww. I should now. She's never asked since. I mean, whatever. So you yeah, haven't, right. you haven't really I... grappled with it then, Tom. You've got some work to do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so. You still got some work to do. <laughs> Oh, freaking dumb. <laughs> so the last time I went to Mormon church was like five years ago. And it was in Salt Lake City. And what I was doing was I was having this immersion um, week 
with community of Christ leaders, including our general officers of the church. We don't say general authorities, but anyway, people who are presidents of 70 and apostles. So we went incognito to a LDS service. So they didn't know who was it was, just regular friends of members of the ward. And, uh, you know, because otherwise there's people would have been acting different. We were trying not to have the observer effect be too much. And so, anyway, in doing it, though, just in the whole process of it, just by being a complete outsider, it was just amazing how just horribly, just horribly, horribly, horribly sexist the entire experience was. You know, I mean, it just every at every aspect of it, every every portion of every part of it, and then I don't know. And this one thing that I remember was that there was this moment in the sacrament meeting when the bishop had called this girl who was graduating from primary into Sunday school um, up to the stand, and she was so embarrassed to even be standing there. And he kept on he was he was telling her all of these things that about womanhood and things like that that were just. It was just so embarrassing and horrible that how un- uncomfortable she was and how um, clueless he was and just how awful he was being. Mm. And at the end of this, this whole long <clears throat> horror, you know, of being able to see it from the outside and come back to this, you know, the apostle, um, you know, when, when he was like saying, you know, for us, so for me, I sort of saw, saw this program, in other words, about reaching out to mormons who have been coming to us and everything like that we sort of saw this as okay well there's a lot of them coming to us maybe we need this because we need members badly (laughs) but the end of the day in seeing this and seeing what people are experiencing this for us is a peace and justice issue (laughs) Mm -hmm. because of the the, what people are going through here is is some and our cousins (laughs) it's something that we have to um we have to do something about because this is bad, you know, and what people are, you know, so it's, it's, it's bad. Well, they don't really have any good answers for it. Like there was a a female in our, in our ward just recently who confronted one of my former bishops about some of the glaring sexist things in the church. Mm -hmm. And his only response was, well, you guys get cushion seats in release society. Oh my god! Are there you fucking is. kidding me? And then he said, and he says, because we have the hard metal seats, and they, oh, there they, it is. Their bathroom is nicer. Usually. Yeah, they, they, yeah. There's they a have, mother's yeah. lounge. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's a mother's, mother's lounge. lounge where you can pull out your boob and feed your kid. <laughs> that's how. That's how bad of an you know they have like nothing no. in response to it. So yeah, I agree with you, Joan. You know. Oh, they have a response. The response is, "Oh my God, uh, you guys are so wonderful and pure. I could never be a mother because I'm not pure enough. Right. You guys are so wonderful and pure that you get the special, special privilege and chairs of carrying a baby and having it shoot out your vagina, which is a double insult to those women who can't have kids. Oh, just, oh, don't you don't have to tell me about that because yeah, my yeah. wife, eight years, suffered." Week after week after week, hearing about all these stories about motherhood, 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 and we couldn't get pregnant. Yep. All of her friends moved on uh, from her in her mind because they had kids, and that's all they ever wanted to talk about. And all that was was just like knives stabbing her right? Um, because of the culture. 
my my friend who's a um, member of community of Christ, who's a woman who's in, in leadership, she um, can't have children. Uh, just there's no and, and never will. And and we were they were having a um, they were entertain they were taking around an official um, delegation of Mormon hierarchs in through a, a a site that we were hosting them and and the apostle said to her you know like promised her that she would be able to have kids and it's just it was just so it's just so horribly offensive totally <laughs> you know offensive. you know that this that this self-righteous nobody who knows nothing you know is going to just say you know just going to say that kind of respect junk <laughs> you know <laughs> Yeah, I mean and that's a, that's the kind of thing that just anyway. Yeah, it's yeah. very it's very abusive, and but really, the, I mean, it comes from. Uh, I mean, he wasn't trying to be malicious. No, of it, course not. The, he's an idiot and, an and a liar and a and and a and he's just <laughs> insanely and in, his entire self being is duplicitous. <laughs> but I'm sure he's a good guy. He probably plays golf. Yeah, oh yeah, he's nice. Okay. Right, right. Nice. <laughs> Well, you made an excellent case for the sexism. Probably should be higher on all our lists, but you know, Tom. Tom right. still got privilege, time to change yo. His. Yo, we were like pigs in slop with our privilege, man. I know. <laughs> we could conduct meetings, wear yeah. suits, get the hard chairs, but it was worth it. So, yeah, Tom. It, well, it's a sacrifice. <laughs> Tom, oh, the hard. sacrifice. We had, to take, we had to take down all the chairs. Those, the women never did that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tom, are, are you rethinking uh, Mountain Meadows Massacre as your number one now? No, I think Randy set it up perfectly. Okay. You know, he had Polly uh, Marie. It can was I, can, uh, can I go what? pee real quick? Just real quick? Just real quick? Go ahead. As just long as you leave just, to pee, just put it don't on, sit there and go, right. okay, thanks. Like the little yeah, rubric. Right. Yeah, Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> Much better. Is this going to happen? This is going to happen. Don't do oh, it. It's, oh, it's good. Oh, why would you? So, Tom. Hey, so, what was your number one? <laughs> We're all in suspense. Yeah, because nobody knows. It could be anything. No one knows. I have to go with the Mountain Meadows Massacre, of course. Um... I didn't want to, but whatever. The reason why is because exactly what Randy described, it it led, it started all the dominoes for falling for me. Right. Everything. And as soon as I found out about that, it that was the first, you know, when I was neck deep into research, that's when I asked myself the question, like, could this, what, what? Could, could Brigham Young not be a prophet? Could the church not be true? Yeah. And that was the that was the first time that I actually entertained that question was when I was really getting neck deep into all that and and I just I just remember how vivid all that was and of course you know as all of us know once that first domino goes that's it and it's like okay so if they've been lying to me about this or if this is the first thing that I've uncovered that I didn't know about what else is there and then shitstorm right. So how what so how did you find out about the Mountain Meadows massacre? I, you probably told the story before, but I don't remember. All right. Well, it was uh, there was a movie that, that had come out, the September Dawn movie. Oh wow, the September Dawn movie. Is you, that with John Voight? 
Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, who was it? It was uh, the guy that played uh, Zod in Superman. He was Brigham Young. Terrence Stamp. That's right. Mm, that's the guy. He know that. <laughs> I love Terrence Stamp. He's awesome. He's a, he's a celebrity worshiper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should be a Mormon, Glenn. Terrence Stamp, man. Anyway, like like I've said in other podcasts, he was in was, Young Guns. Who Terrence Stamp was? Yeah. With Emilio Estevez. Yeah, yeah. He was the guy that collected all the boys in Young Guns. All right. Let's let Tom tell the story. Terrence Stamp. Right. right, right. I'll make you. I'll make you. Stamp. Okay, we got it. Thanks, Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, so that movie had come out, and the local news were, was covering the quote controversy that was happening because of it. And they pulled a bunch of uh, historians into a room, and they said, "Do you guys, who in here thinks that Brigham Young ordered the massacre?" And only like three out of the ten raised their hand. And then the rest said that they didn't think so. But those three caused me enough doubt where I'm like, wait, what? Three historians actually think that he ordered it? And that's when I was like, that can't be. What? And so did the, did the cover-up, uh, was, that, was that a problem for you? Because really, his obstruction that was the of justice. Problem. That was yeah. the ultimate problem. Because you can't nail Brigham, down, Brigham Young down with the order. You can't. There's, you know evidence that points to the contrary so you can't really nail him down for that but you can right. nail him down for the cover-up right there's just no there's no arguing with that and that and, to me is like the one thing that's like okay that he still has blood on his hands just from the cover-up alone oh and yeah it, it, it has just like what you described randy earlier where he goes down and he tears that monument down and yep. he, he, he didn't have any guilt for it he didn't have any remorse it, it was like he was rubbing the rest of the rest of his life obstruction after the fact. I mean, so whether yeah. whether whatever he did before the fact, we don't know. But like you say, we can can argue either way. But after the fact, it's a consistent policy yeah. of mm-hmm. felony obstruction after he the fact. Protect, yeah, he protected those that were involved. He made promises to to those that were involved to keep them, you know, eternally safe or whatever stupid thing it was, and it. The the cover up, yeah, it's just undeniable. And to me, it was like, okay, maybe you he can't say that he ordered the massacre, but you certainly can say that he covered it up. And that's just you know, just a little bit lower than the actual you know being there and killing him. In my he create he also created the culture with the blood atonement doctrine. And uh, it, I really don't like it when people refer to John. His name was John D. Lee, right? Yeah, one the scapegoat. Yeah, this, yep. no, don't. That's what I was about to say. He's not a scapegoat. A scapegoat, by definition, is something that is innocent, that is used to take on the sins of the community. That's fall a Hebrew, Hebrew thing. He's the fall guy because he was guilty. Right, okay. he, was, guilty. he was. He was not the only one that was guilty. Right. So he's the no, fall absolutely. guy. But I, people call him scapegoat all the time. He's not a scapegoat. He's a fall guy. Right. Point. But John, uh, Tom, you should uh, you should sue KSL for exposing you to information that was damaging to your testimony. What well, what would be the the damages? My re- yeah, the damages like the my, damages. My life, lifetime subscription to Deseret Book. Pain and suffering. <laughs> <laughs> well, you need to get Jackie Treehorn. 
That's yeah, what you need to do. All, all the all the lattes you can drink. They're, right, they're all the lattes you can drink. The glove doesn't fit. I, yeah. Did you put on a bomb? Who told you to put on the bomb? Put the bomb on. <laughs> I think you put the bomb on. I think I Randy got rid of all the bomb. I think he used it all. I used probably ninety percent of it. Yeah. It's still about ten percent left. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what a bomb is? Do you know what a bomb does? All right. All right, guys. Wow. Five times three, 15 reasons why we left the church. Well, yeah. technically, it's a shitload more, but those are just the ones that we highlighted tonight. Yeah. Can the intro music be uh, like 50 ways to leave your lover or whatever? Oh, right. right. Let's get on the train, you know, train, chain, whatever. Do, do, do you want to act all inside your head? She said to me. The answer is easy if you take it logically. I'd like yeah. to help you with your problem to be free. There must be 50 ways to leave your lover. Yeah. Is that Paul Simon? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So one out of 15 of the reasons was sexism. And, and the one was being a gay guy. Who doesn't We're even such- like women. Diversity! Yay! Yay! And he hates women. (laughs) This is the last thing he wants in his life, is women. I don't want to be sexist towards women. (laughs) Don't worry, I'm not going to make it in. Hi, this is Dan from South Jordan, Utah, and I once threw away every R-rated movie I owned, thanks to a bishop. I somehow forgot heat. I guess it's the Lord's tender mercies. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com, and if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? I can't believe you put my dick on a cantaloupe. Oh, is Tom here? I don't, Tom, are you? Yeah, I'm here. What's up? You need some front lighting, Tom. You need, I mean, it's just where, so do you have two screens? Is that what's going on? Oh, there you go. There's that handsome face. Yeah, because you're looking, you're looking like way off to the side. Because I have, I have a, this webcam that's over here, I think. Oh, yeah. that's that, it. That's the one. It's that's not the, the one. Because I don't have one built in with the screen. You can't like clip it over the the top, so it's more you like. You want me to clip it over the top? It just it just looks like you're pissed and you're looking away. Yeah, it's like we're interrupting you. I feel like I'm interrupting Tom. <laughs> All right, hang on. It's, like, it's like you're typing an email and we're like, Dad, uh, Dad, yeah, yeah, Dad, yeah, you're like, shut up. Hang on, Dicks, hang on. <laughs> One of the reasons why I love Tom is he reminds me so much of my high school uh, football teammates. Hang on, dicks. <laughs> the problem is all inside your head, it seems to me. The answer is easy if you take it logically. Go kiss a boy, Roy. <laughs> you know, the problem with this whole fucking song is it's just all talking. I hate talking in songs. I mean, it 
why can't we just, there's no tune to this. Okay, so kiss a boy, Roy, drink some tequila, she, I, I don't even, there's no tune. Grieves us all to see you in such pain, we wish there was, we wish there was, we wish there was something, what is the same thing? So we make podcasts and we shut shit inside your brain about the 50 ways. You know, this is crazy. You know, the thing about it is, the you know, the 50 ways to leave your lover. The It's all about how pathetic people are that they can't actually leave until there's actually, until they actually have somebody else to like, trade off from you know so that people are so insecure uh, why don't we both just sleep on it tonight and we'll believe in the morning and you'll and i believe in the morning you'll begin to see the light and then i kissed her and i realized she was probably right you know so in other words the idea is that you know until you have something, like a bird in hand you can't get rid of two in the bush okay okay okay, okay. So put in your earbuds and listen again tonight. Thanks for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.